Okay, we are really excited about the Eddie Wall episode. It's one of my favorites, buds. Yeah, that was a good one. Now, before we get into the episode, I got some special news to announce. We are hosting an event at Brighton called Bombhole Cup, April 2nd and 3rd. Mark the calendar. Day one is going to be a bank slalom. Day two is kind of a jump rail jam. All ability levels are welcome, all the way from pro to beginner. We're just trying to get all of our listeners in one place to have a good time April 2nd and 3rd at Brighton. So be sure to make it if you can. It's going to be a blast. What else we got, buds? We got snowboard socks. We did a collab with Stance. Unfortunately, we are sold out, but Stance is not. So go to their website, and you can still get the Bombhole Stance socks. We got new mugs. We got some patches designed by Draplin. Those are really dope. Check out Bombhole.com. Check out Bombhole.com. We got new merch. Also, the hoodies are fire. The new hoodies are great. Check them out. But uh, let's get into it. The Eddie Wall episode. Here we go. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. Going to slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, we are back at it again here at the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, first things first, Stony Buds, how are we doing? So good, my dog. God, I love that. Uh, to my left, we have a big guest today. We got Mr. Eddie Wall in the booth. Eddie, how are we doing? I'm very excited to be here. Well, we are thrilled that you're in the booth with us. Uh, for people that are unfamiliar with Eddie and his incredible career, hell of a career as a pro snowboarder, uh, one of the original riders for Genius. He was part of Grenade, Grenade in its heyday. He won more money than I can count in rail jams. <laughs> He was on Forum, DC, countless video parts, an ATV. He's jumped a damn Subaru. He's jumped a snowboard next to Ken Block on a Subaru. The list goes on forever. We're going to get into all of it. But uh, first things first, the kid grew up in the backwoods of PA. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so uh, I always like to, t- to talk about that, you know, when just talking about snowboarding in general and stuff, because I think where people come from is r- really important, and especially for for younger kids listening or actually anybody listening who, you know, has like a dream that might seem kind of crazy, even if you're, you know, if you're a kid or you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, I always like to talk about where I came from because, uh, it was definitely not like the traditional grow up at the bottom of a ski resort, uh, with a lot of the, um, opportunities that other people might've had. So yeah, I mean, back in the day, um, my mom and dad had bought, uh, a little, well, like a, some acreage out in the, far back, I just say backwoods of Pennsylvania, but Northeastern Pennsylvania, really beautiful area, uh, rolling hills, you know, you get those fall colors and everything. Um, but he, um, built a log cabin just out of like what was on the property. So he'd go cut, he's a construction worker, um, you know, plumber heater, he can do all that stuff. So he was able to, um, yeah, just literally build our a house. And when I was five years old, I was born in Philadelphia. And then when I was five, me and my two sisters and my parents all moved up to what we call the mountain house. And, uh, it's just a really cool, I mean, you can see like one, one or two houses from where we live. And I mean, you can see pretty far. Um, so it's very, very rural and, you know, probably, you know, it was like 30 minutes to a grocery store, stuff like that. And, um, so yeah, I just grew up young, 
kind of um, roaming around the woods. My sisters were a little bit older than me, so they were kind of off doing their thing. And um, I was just kind of uh, on my own, kind of building tree forts and uh, kind of fishing, like a real kind of <laughs> kind of hometown upbringing, you know. And, um, and yeah, so yeah, basically I was just doing that. And I, I, I think that kind of uh, is one of the reasons I'm pretty like independent. Like I don't mind being alone. I don't mind doing things on my own. Like I'll go on a road trip by myself or I'll do, you know, I have no problem going surfing by myself or whatever it is. And I, I, I'm really grateful for that. You know, it also definitely made me like, now I'm just like, I don't like big crowds. I'm, you know, can sometimes be a little bit antisocial because I'm, more used to being a little bit in quiet zones. But um, anyways, um, but yeah, I was just like normal kid in that sense um, until like discovering skateboarding basically. And how old? I want to say I was 12. So, and this is in 1992. And um, we were at this little tiny general store. And I mean, it's like a general store, like you would picture like back in the old Western days or something, you know, but it, and it was funny cause it was like kind of on a farm or next to a farm. And I just remember all the farmers would come in wearing their rubber boots, like shit kickers, we'd call them. And the, it just smelled like manure super bad. And it was just this dusty old store, but in the, on the bottom, they had VHS rentals. So, you know, on like a Friday night, we, the big thing, Oh, well, let's go down and rent a VHS tape, you know? And we, and at the bottom, I saw this like skateboard thing like video and and i find i like looking back it ended up being um it was called uh gambling with gravity it was a speed wheels speed wheels video i think um and uh gambling with gravity anyways and i put that video in that night and it was like i always consider myself so fortunate because it, it was like this light switch went off and I was 12 years old and I was like, I was in little league. I was in basketball. I was in soccer, like all the typical things like a, a, a kid does. And I was like very mediocre at best, never very that into them. I definitely did not like coaches telling me what to do and stuff. But, um, dude, I saw this thing and it was like magic the way they could like flip the board and Ollie. Like I, I was like so mesmerized by it. And it was like, I, honestly, my life changed instantly at that moment. I was like, all I want to do is skateboard. I just want to be a skateboarder. I like went and got some of my dad's old jeans because that 90, this is 92, 93. I mean, pants were massive. So I just like grabbed my dad's old jeans, cut them off, instantly have these huge pants. And um, yeah, I like, I had to, I watched the movie like 10 times that night. And then in the morning I watched it before we had to return it. And then I asked the person if I could buy it at the video store and they were like, yeah, I guess so. It'd be like 15 bucks. So I like went home and worked for, you know, like a couple weeks before I could get the money and then I bought it. And then, um, and then dude, my first skateboard, I bought at Kmart and I put it on layaway and I, <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows what layaway is. The younger generation probably doesn't, but it's like, it's essentially like you go, you get something off the shelf and then you give it to them and they put it behind the counter and you come in. It's like a payment plan, but you don't get it until you pay it off. So I would come in like every Saturday with like five more dollars and five more dollars. And then finally it was like, and it was a Veriflex, like, you know, kind of cheesy skate brand. And yeah, I just bought that board and I had this little piece of concrete in front of our house that was like our front porch. Um, and was, would just skateboard back and forth on that. And I didn't have anybody to teach me how to ollie or anything. So like it took me so long, like months and months to learn how to do tricks. 
And then like, I would just go and watch the videos like over and over and over and like slow motion them and see where they're putting their feet. And like, uh, yeah. And then granted, then obviously it started snowing. We're in Pennsylvania. It's freezing cold in the winter. And through like skateboarding, I had heard of snowboarding. And then I had kind of started, we went and rented a snowboard and, you know, we were like, okay. And then I got a used snowboard, um, from like a family friend. Uh, and then that just kind of started snowboarding. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. A couple things, um, we, we mentioned earlier, we were having a conversation and you had some, some great advice from your, your parents when you were younger. I don't know if it was quotes or what have you, but I thought that was, that kind of paints a picture of where you're from. I thought it was really good. Yeah. So when I was about 12, um, on summer breaks, you know, my dad, um, he had his own business. Um, it was called Ed Wall's plumbing and heating. And, uh, he would put, you know, plumbing and heating into new homes. And so, um, yeah, he just started bringing me out on the job. And I think it was partially because I would just be sitting at home all day alone and, you know, during the summer. Um, and, uh, also just a way to, you know, teach me a trade and everything. And so, yeah, so I started kind of going out with him and, and, you know, I would get to do summer break stuff too, but, um, but yeah, definitely worked with him a lot in the summers and, uh, and yeah, he, he taught me, yeah, my first, uh, one of my first days, he gave me this thing, like clean all these pipes or these fittings or something. And then I cleaned them all and then flipped a bucket over and sat down and he was like, came down into the basement and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, ha look at me. I cleaned all the pipes, you know, I'm the man, you know? And he's like, yeah, but what are you doing now? Like you're, and I was like, oh, just taking, taking a break. You didn't give me. And he was like, no, like never sit down. You can never sit down. Like as soon as you, we get on the job at 8 a.m., we got, a, we got, you know, a lunch for 30 minutes and we got two 15 minute breaks. Um, but he was like, otherwise you're not sitting down. And first time I went to the plumbing truck to go grab a tool, I was just like walking up the stairs and he's like, what do you, you don't walk? He's like, you run to the truck, you run to the truck and you run back. And he, and so I got ingrained at a young age with a, a good work ethic, which is something I'm, I mean, couldn't be more grateful for, you know? Um, and then, uh, at that same time, um, when I kind of started really loving snowboarding and skateboarding and I, I thought, I, I want to do this, you know, um, I, I told my mom that and she had just read a book or an article or something. And this wasn't some big talk or anything. She just said kind of in passing, like, oh yeah, you shouldn't say, she's like, I read this thing. You shouldn't say, I want to be a pro snowboarder. Or I want to be this. You should just start telling yourself you are already that. So say like, I am a pro snowboarder. And then, so I just started saying that to myself, um, yeah, every night and every morning since I was 13. Um, and then it's funny cause then when I turned pro, I switched it to like, I am one of the top pro snowboarders in the world. And then, you know what I mean? And, um, yes, it's just pretty wild. I mean, it's kind of true. Like our brains are like a computer and you can, you can program a computer like a, your laptop, you can program it to do bad things or good things and you know manifestation is real that's they ingrain that in you that's so cool yeah yeah it is you know and granted it you can't just like sit around on your couch all day saying i'm gonna be you a pro snowboarder you, right? yeah. you got to take action you can't yes. just also, manifest with that. you got to do the work and the steps right but it is true i mean if someone's just all day long is like oh i'm never gonna get a good job i'm never gonna get a good job i'm not then yeah, you're right. You never are. You never like are. you never will with that. But if or, yeah, hundred percent. Or even this would this would happen to me. That kind of thing. Same same negative connotation. Yep. Uh, one thing we gotta talk about, which is so, I'm, I've been excited to talk to you about this because, um, I grew up doing Green Mountain series, <laughs> yeah. uh, and 
you know, when I was doing Green Mountain Series, you were super pro. And the, mm. there was another Eddie Wall that was competing in Green Mountain Series. And it was not you. It was your dad. <laughs> and so we would go and like, you know, I'd be competing and your dad would be competing in the, uh, the vet class. I don't know what age group. And, um, Methuselah. Methuselah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he would have your pro model and he'd be, it's like Eddie wall senior on the Eddie wall junior <laughs> pro model. And I like, I was like a fan of your dad. Cause I'm like, that's Eddie wall's dad. It's so fucking cool. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so like, th- how was that having a, a dad that was into the boarding too? Right. It, you know, it was awesome. And I think it kind of goes back to the fact that I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I didn't have any real close friends who live nearby. And so I was, kind of like my parents were kind of my friends, you know, at that time and, or still, but, um, so it's interesting too, cause I think some people think that like my dad was this like crazy snowboarder and then he got me into it and kind of, but it was, we both like, it was more like, I was like, Oh, I, I really want to try snowboarding. And he was like, Oh, well, I'm going to have to give you a ride there and stuff. And it looks fun. Like I'll try it too. And so he ended up just falling in love with it, but in a, in a, cool way to looking back like he never he wasn't like trying to be you know some 16 year old kid who's like missed out on his childhood he was just like oh this is super fun and and like let's just do this together so it was funny because for me my whole like from 13 until i moved out west at 18 like i rode every single day with my dad all day like that's what we did and it never was like weird to me it was just like normal and then yeah, we did the Green Mountain series. We did some Mid-Atlantic series. I was pretty bad, I think, like during those times. This was like 94, 95. Yeah, I just, I mean, I took it super serious because I, I really did want to be a snowboarder, like a pro snowboarder. So, I mean, I would draw out the runs like after practice and I knew like jump, jump, rail, jump. Like I draw them out and then write out all my tricks that I was going to do. And I still have these notes actually like, I would give a recap after the contest. I'd be like, so-and-so did good. He fell on a backside seven. It's, cra- it's super funny looking back at it because I kind of forgot that I had done that. But yeah, I, I, like from the beginning, I was like, if I'm more obsessed with this than anybody, um, like that has to bring me to some something, you know? Um, but yeah, no, my dad, uh, my dad still snowboards. He's 72. He's um, a big old yeah, air horn. Big yeah. Air yeah. Uh, Ed what, Wall Senior. What resort were you guys at? So our, our main hometown resort was called, well, no, it was an hour and a half away or two hours called, was called montage. And it's uh right. It's like in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Wow. Scranton. Yeah. Where the office is. Dunder Mifflin. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was a very small resort. I didn't know that at the time cause it was all I knew. And it was, yeah. so for me, it was great. Um, they kind of had a park. I mean, they might've had like one or two really badly built jumps, um, solid ice all the time. And, uh, maybe I think it has four chairlifts. Uh, but again, to me, that was like, dope I was like, what's Whoa. amazing to me is if your dad did not like snowboarding you might have never got that ride it's a very good point you might have never got been able to pick it up you know yeah 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 no that's a that's an extremely good point and uh and i'm fortunate for that and it's cool i mean my dad and i got to share a lot of uh things and my mom you know it's funny because i always think of like my dad and i as snowboarding you know together a lot but what's interesting is that we because we lived out in the in Pennsylvania and we lived out in the countryside, we lived kind of on a hill. So we would just, and my dad's a plumber. So we had endless rails, like a piping. PVC piping. Uh-huh. PVC piping. <laughs> so dude, we would have like 20 rails PVC in my front yard. Over yeah. Here. So we'd have like, we'd, and we, 
you know, my dad can build anything. So we're just like build all these crazy different rails and like single barrel, double barrel, down flats, like everything. And it was so funny because, you know, looking back now, I realized like my mom would sit out there and film me like a bunch, which is like, I mean, granted, I'd set it up alone by myself a lot, but like, you know, big, big props to my mom too, because she was like super supportive of it. And um, yeah, so it was, it was cool. It was, it was good times. And actually, quick side note, I, there was this pro a little while back who said something like they were from Europe and they were like, oh, like snowboarders need to get back to their roots. Like these kids are like hitting rails. Like they need to ride powder, like get back to your roots. And I'm like, yo, sorry, we all didn't grow up in the Alps, buddy. Like (laughs) my roots are handrails. Like that's where I came from. Like we didn't have powder. I didn't even see powder till I was 19. Like didn't even know what the fuck it was, you know? So anyways, um, no, it's a great, that's, that's a, a great, great point. Yeah. Sidebar. Yeah. So anyways, no, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was good times. Um, and, and it was, yeah, my parents were supportive, but they were also like, you know, they weren't, they were very like, you want to be a pro snowboarder. And this kind of goes into like getting into high school, like telling people I wanted to be a pro snowboarder in 1994 you know, Sean White's not on the cover of Rolling Stone back then. Tony Hawk didn't do his infamous 900 that kind of like went viral at that time. So it was, uh, it's a weird, I think Jason Dill kind of said something like, it's kind of like saying you want to be a pro pogo sticker, you know, like at that time. Like, oh, I'm going to move out West and be a pro pogo sticker. Well, what, how are you going to make a living? Where, what is that? Like nobody, it was so niche back then. Um, And so everybody just think, thought I was fucking nuts. <laughs> like, what? It's like saying you have no future, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what everyone's thinking. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. luck for that when you're older. <laughs> yeah, which is really hard, especially when you're in high school. So I ended up going, kind of long story short, my sister applied, my sister Allison applied to this private school that was close to Scranton. So my sister Allison applied to this private school. She was wanted to like further her education and and so she was four years ahead of me and she, my parents were like, yeah, you can do that, but the school's like crazy expensive. So you need to get scholarships and everything. So she was able to get scholarships and financial aid and, and, and then she ended up doing very well at the school. So for the four years she was there, we would go visit her because uh, it was a boarding school. So we would go down and visit her and she'd come home and stuff, but we knew the staff and the, the people who worked there. So when she was graduating, I was just about to go into high school and the school was like, oh, so do you plan to send send your son here too? And I was like, my parents were like, oh, do you want to go to this crazy private school? It's, it's like everybody at the school goes to Ivy League colleges. It's really gnarly. And I was just like, thinking of this. And then I was just like, okay, it's, it's in Scranton. So like, there's going to be concrete for skating and it's close to montage. So it's going to be good for snowboarding, you know? And I'm like, yes, I, I want to further my education. Yes. Let's, <laughs> let's go to private school. So, um, but it was extremely like, it was real gnarly. I mean, we had mandatory every single night. We had three hours of homework and study hall. So you'd go to school all day, get a little break where I would usually go out and go skate. And then there was dinner. And then from seven to 10 every night you studied. And that usually wasn't enough. Like I would usually study till like 11 or so. And, you know, I have two flip sides because boarding school was really fun because it's like you're a kid and you, but you feel like you're kind of a grown up because you're not living at home. You know, you're doing your own laundry. You're uh, like going to the store, buying your own food and stuff. And then you're living in a dorm with 60 or a hundred other kids. Like it's pretty damn fun. It feels like Lord of the Flies type of thing, you know? 
And so that was like the good part about it. Um, but the, the downside is that like I'm 14 and I like knew what I wanted to do. I was like, I know I want to be a pro snowboarder. I have no interest in Harvard or Yale or Princeton or any of this stuff. And to say that in that type of environment was just like, again, you're crazy. Like you have no future. Like, what are you doing? You know? So also I was studying really hard, but I wasn't getting great grades because I'm not like super book smart test taking good guy, you know, like I feel like I'm pretty smart in a lot of other areas, but when it comes to like a standardized standardized test, I'm just like, this is the most boring thing in the world, like A, B, C, whatever, you know? And so I wasn't doing horrible. I was, you know, C's and B's, couple D's, whatever, like, but it was extremely difficult for me because I was like 14, 15 years old. You're already, it's hard just dealing with going through puberty and and girls and uh, do I fit in? And I'm coming from a polar opposite world of like the woods. And now I'm in this fancy school where kids are driving, literally driving Porsches to school at 16. Holy shit. Yeah. Like gnarly. Like it's like a movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember one kid, had a, he had a Dodge Viper at 16 and I was like, what the, I mean, this is crazy. You know, like when school I was six, had to cost some biscuits. Huh? Yeah. Oh, it's psycho. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was like, like, I don't know, maybe like 20 or 30 grand a year at that time. And like, this is 94, you know? Um, but, uh, but again, yeah, luckily they had uh, obviously hooked me up because my sister did so well. And anyways, uh, yeah, it was really hard. And, and I didn't know if I wanted to talk about this, but like at that time, but now like mental health is kind of out there. So it's, it's okay to talk about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But like at that time, so I was struggling because a, I was studying really hard, but I wasn't producing. And I was telling everybody I wanted to be a pro snowboarder and they're like, you're fucking crazy. So it was just nonstop. Like, and it just felt like I was never good enough. Like no matter what I did was not good enough. And that, over time is like pretty, you know, wearing on you. Sorry. It's beating you down, basically. I mean, in your head, you're like, I'm a pro snowboarder, and they're like, you better be training for Yale. Yeah, 100%. It's like your mind's going the opposite way. They're trying to train you to go. Yeah, and and it's hard, too, because it's weird to be 15 and know what you love and that you want to do for the rest of your life, and everyone's telling you that it's a stupid idea. Like, that sucks, you know, because it's not even like, oh, I think I might want to do this or I might want to, it's like, no, I know I want to dedicate my life to this thing. And everyone's, and and you're a kid, you know, dealing with adults. So you're just like, oh, well, they must be right. And I must be wrong because I'm only 15. How could I know what I want to do for the rest of my life? All this stuff, you know? Anyway, so I started like burning myself and cutting myself because I, yeah, because I, it was just a way for me to kind of deal with like the stress. And it's oddly weird how that like cutting yourself or burning yourself like takes the pain away. It's, it's just a weird thing. But anyways, I got like deep into that and I, yeah. And I basically, um, was like, like pretty suicidal. Like I was just like, all right, you know, I kind of was like, I'm going to fucking kill myself to show all these motherfuckers. Like, don't do this to a kid. Like maybe if I kill myself, the next kid who comes along, who's like struggling or wants to do this, maybe they'll be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe we should support you because the last kid that we didn't, fucking slit his wrists open and died. And so I was like really going back and forth. And, and every time I'd like cut myself, sometimes I go a little deeper, you know, some, you know, be like, Ooh, can I like, can I play around with this type of a thing? Anyways, that went on for like a year or two. Um, but at some, I, it's crazy. Cause I still have like, Were you a bu- keeping it hidden. 
Yeah, yeah. So I would just wear long sleeves. I'd always just cut my left arm, and I still have like a bunch yeah, of scar, scars, like damn. lighter burns and stuff. Yeah. But um, but uh, I at one point a teacher saw it, and you know it was a teacher that I had kind of known. They lived in the dorm, so we kind of knew each other, you know, pretty well. And so he was like, "Hey, you need to go see like the uh, counselor, the school, the therapist type thing," which. This like literally altered my entire life. So her name, I believe, is Harvey Saba. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is I actually just just recently found, like looked her up and was able to find her on Facebook. And I messaged her, messaged her but like she, it looks like she hasn't checked her Facebook in a couple of years. So I'm like, I don't know, but I, I want to like thank her. But yeah, she kind of, so yeah, I just started doing therapy and she essentially, long story short, she was like, listen, you know, you're, there's a line of like, of kind of, a, there's a line, right? And, and she said, when you get super happy, cause I was like happy, I'd be running around really happy, but I was like overly happy. And then, so I would go like above the line. And then when I, she's like, when you start coming down from that happiness, you don't go back to the line, you go below the line, almost like a drug, right? Like if you do ecstasy, you're going to be up here, but then you don't come back to feeling good. You go below feeling good. You feel mm-hmm. shitty, right? It's kind of like that with like bipolar and being super excited or like manic, you know, super excited and then super depressed. So she was like, it was interesting because she's like, if you start, she's like, if you do good on a test or if you land a new skate trick, she was like, don't be like doing back, don't be overly happy, which is a weird thing. You, you're like, how can happiness be bad? Like, yeah. how can celebrating be bad? But she was like, just acknowledge it and be like, oh, I'm super stoked, but just kind of try to keep it in and then she's like and then when something bad happens you will you will like more stay on the line like something bad will happen and you won't get super depressed for days and start cutting yourself and thinking about suicide you'll just like be a little bit bad and be like damn i got a bad i failed a test Mm -hmm. that's okay it's not the end of the world and so literally to this day and i'm 41 now it's like i think of staying on that line Mm -hmm. and since then it's you know been pretty good as far as all that stuff goes so she really helped you yeah yeah in a big way and i think also i just like the reason i wanted to bring that up was again i think mental health is kind of out there more now and everything and people maybe didn't want to talk about it because either it was embarrassing or maybe it was just like a downer and people don't want to like be like hey everybody i was suicidal <laughs> like yeah. it's not like the best dinner conversation no. um but i i do think it's like important to bring up because you know, I think a lot of people do deal with this stuff and it's, it's really cool now that people are honest about it and, and be, cause it's like, Oh damn. Okay. So like lots of people have felt this way or lots of people have cut themselves or thought about suicide and I'm not just like this one-off weirdo type person. You know? I think you were put in the wrong environment where testing, like I know myself and probably Chris, I wasn't the best at it. Yeah. I think we all got our education in the street snowboarding. Yeah from traveling but when it came to test i was i was miserable like yeah you, i'm like thinking about manic. back lips i'm not thinking about <laughs> algebra you know what i mean well, we just got to travel and learn but yeah algebra man i was yeah i just heard this quote that was, sad. this thing from like a massive like entrepreneur who's like a billionaire or something and he goes the a student will work for the b student the b student will work for the c student and like the most successful will either will be like the 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 dropout or the, something. The dropout who went on to create some crazy Yeah, thing. and it's, I mean, like again. Henry Ford, I think, didn't graduate from, dude, yeah. from high school or something. I mean, the list, list. is insane. If yeah. you look at, 
like very few super successful entrepreneurs or creative people did well in high school. And again, though, I do want to like, I'm not like saying, oh, just quit high school or whatever. Like all these people were driven and had a plan and were, were hell bent on becoming something. They weren't just like, some people are built for, I'm going to drop out of high school and watch TV all day and become a fucking CEO. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, you need to, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't go to school or college, but, um, but I just think some, it's not the, best environment for some people mm-hmm. 100%, especially the the major footnote i think there is knowing exactly what the fuck you want to do if you know that right do that right but if you are like shit i'm gonna figure it out well school's great because yeah, you explore, can figure right? you can figure your shit out absolutely yeah you know? absolutely but if you're like i'm going to be a pro snowboarder and you're the, and with the determination and the conviction and, and the fucking writing lists of uh, your slope style run <laughs> yeah. and making notes about well. Gary that did a back seven with a hand drag. Like, yeah, you, that guy should probably just pursue snowboarding because he's snowboarding. a psycho. Yeah. yeah. And not worried about going to, to Yale or yeah. Harvard. Or- and the other thing too, is that there is a lot of, I mean, if you're at some kids are 15 who are like, I want to be a doctor. And obviously you have to go to school to be a doctor. So there's, yeah. t- I mean, yeah. you could argue, I mean, the majority of career paths, you're majorly benefited by going to college. 100%. You well, know, we need these doctors and lawyers or yeah. societies in I'll trouble. I'll tell you, you apply for a job at the bomb hole, I'm not looking at that college yeah, you're not resume. looking at that college <laughs> I'm like, degree. can this dude kick it or this woman, can she hang out with us idiots? You know, that's that's our vibe. But anyway. Yeah, you, don't, you don't need to uh, fake a college degree to come here. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I did at first, but Chris didn't look at it, so we're cool. <laughs> Uh, dude, one thing I, I, I just want to kind of derail a little bit for a second, because talking about what you were just talking about coming up with snowboarding and you did a great job providing context of like what it was like, Tony Hawk hadn't done the 900. Um, you know, uh, Sean White wasn't on the cover wrong. So it's snowboarding, snowboarders were outcasts. Right. Right. And nowadays snowboarding's in the Olympics. We yeah. got, they're on the cover of mag. I just saw Chloe came in the airport on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw um, her on the side of, uh, Moving truck. Yeah, I saw a billboard <laughs> with Sky Brown, the skateboarder, yeah. just driving down the freeway the other day. It's like action sports are right there, as acceptable as the NFL now. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to hear your take on how it's changed for a second, derail here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's changed in a massive way uh, on all sorts of levels. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind would be like, when I was coming up, it was still very, very counterculture is still very punk rock um i mean like when i moved out west and i'm not trying to jump ahead but like if i told somebody i was gonna like drink a green juice and go do yoga i mean i'd get laughed out of the house you know what i mean like it was you finish riding here's a case of beer let's get (laughs) hammered you know like here's some weed here's some cigarettes or whatever and it was like let's party because like we're snowboarders that's what we do we are not athletes we are not i think i called kevin jones an athlete once and he almost punched me in the face he's like (laughs) he's like no we're not athletes we are snowboarders like athletes are like at the gym training all day no we don't do that and i was like okay you know so it's funny because and then now it's the complete opposite it's like if you want to be a pro athlete, pro snowboarder, you are training at the gym. You're doing core work. You're drinking green juice. You're healthy. You're not drinking soda. It's like, and you're not getting hammered before your Olympics run. You know, yeah. um, you know, Olympians uh, are real athletes. Yeah, and so you know, you can look at it in a few different ways. Um, you know, you can look at it as uh, okay, it's a little bit of a bummer because it's kind of becoming a lot more 
mainstream and we're losing kind of some of the, the, the soul. Like, again, the reason I wanted to go skate and snowboard is because there wasn't a coach and because I didn't have someone yelling at me to do pushups and because it was like this super free, you know, act. Um, whereas now, I mean, if you, you probably will get a coach and you're probably going to be on some sort of a team and you are going to be going training and you're going to have to do squats and, you know, and so it's like, oh shit. Like we just became like all the sports that we were against. And I think in that sense, it's bad in the, to, on the flip side, it's like, it's awesome to see kids caring about their bodies and their health and wearing helmets and being healthy and their careers are probably going to go 10 times longer. I mean, we're already seeing that like in the late nineties when you were like 30, I mean, you looked like you were 60 and your body felt like you were 70, you know? And now, um, you know, these kids are, you know, winning contests at 14 and they're probably going to be winning contests at 39. It's, and that I think is very cool. You know, I think somebody was like picking on, like hating on Neen Williams, um, for like on his Instagram for like just posting workout videos all the time. And Neen was just said, like said, Oh yeah, well, you know what? Like I love skateboarding and I want to skateboard until I, I die. And he's like, and this is what's going to make me skateboard. And he shut that person up because I'm like, yeah, like, how can you hate on that? Like, mm-hmm. oh, so- sorry that I actually love, I'm, I must love skateboarding more than you. Like, cause, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to go to the bar and get hammered and not go skate till two in the afternoon cause you're hungover and then skate like shit and then probably get injured. Uh, cool. Have fun doing that. I'll be over here skating till I'm 45 heel flipping a 10 stair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So in that sense, I do think it's, it's cool, but yeah. Another sidebar too. If you watch, uh, I mean, I've been watching the guys in, Sauce you watch the guys chucking the contest these days. It's unbelievable. Like, if you think about when you're coming up, I was actually talking to KJ about this. The other, that's a name drop. Sorry. But, uh, talking to KJ. Uh, he's talking to Kevin Jones. No big deal. No, but, uh, you know, you think about when you're coming up, it's like, I got to learn a 900. That's kind of the ceiling, right? Yep. Nowadays, like, think about it. The only thing I, I have a gauge on when they do 1800s is an 1800 is you do a 900 and then you do a whole nother 900 oh. in the air. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. And, and like, I've never looked at that. And, and, at nine or seven. And, and so like, I, I can count like my 900 is like an 800. Like it's like <laughs> fucking come on, you know? And so in, in that regard, you almost have to, if you want to be able to chuck roast, you have to like kind of take it seriously. If you want to do two 900s in What's the air. What's beautiful once. though, is the average kid, they can still be that beer drinking after, yeah. And uh, go ride the ropes in Minnesota yeah. and still be how we were, which is kind of cool, you know. And there are those street kids that they're mm-hmm. not going to the gym. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, it is it is exactly what you're saying. You could go get hammered. I mean, literally every contest I did, I was got we were partying the night before till one mm-hmm. in the morning and then wake up a little hungover and then do well. Because, again, the biggest trick, the biggest trick you ever needed to do was a 900. Although relative at that time, that felt big and scary, but like... Again, compared to doing a triple cork, it's it's pretty mellow. That's um, like you can die if e- things go e- wrong. Exactly. You know what I mean? So so I think, um, yeah, in one sense, yeah, the level of riding was at the time where you could still kind of be a pro and be partying and be punk rock, and it was cool. But it's funny. Um, what, what, what were you just saying about? I was just saying the layman can still be that. Oh, yes. That street rider that goes and has a 40 after. Exactly. Because, again, so on some uh, Instagram post, somebody posted about the Olympics, like skateboarding. And some skater was like, 
oh, this is so lame. Like, skating should be about getting drunk and, like, smoking cigs and da-da-da. And then, and, and then it was so awesome. Their response was like, you can do that. Yeah, go do it. Go, <laughs> yeah, go do, go that. do you that. You don't have to be in the Olympics. Yeah, you can <laughs> go, go. Go have fun. No one's saying that yeah. part is gone. Like, yeah. go smoke cigs and drink beer and skateboard in, like, the behind the Walmart. Like, no one's saying you can't do that just because there's kids who want to go to the yeah. Olympics. Mm-hmm. Both sports are big enough now. We have bookends and totally totally and the beauty is is like in football it's hard to or basketball it can be hard to get like 20 guys together or whatever it is 10 guys to play a game type of a thing but that's the thing about skating and snowboarding is like you can do whatever the hell you want because it's your you can go ride pow you can ride street you can go split board you can do whatever because you only need yourself and like yeah do whatever you want if you want to get stoned and be you be be a pile. Go for it. <laughs> or if you're a true athlete, be like Zeb. What was that trick you pulled the other day? You see that one on the net? It's like oh a, yeah, like, the backflip shifty or late. flip, but his contorts his body Dude, background. Yeah, yeah, like that's some athletic core strength. shit. That's core strength. You're yeah, not, you're not drinking beers after and uh, drinking forties when you're doing those kind of moves. No, when you are an athlete. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go. Let's get back onto the arc of your uh, <sighs> career here, because I I think it's like when I look at you as a snowboarder, you are. If I'm thinking about a person that is the product of work ethic in snowboarding, of the person that I reference in my head, I'm like, that dude made it because of his work ethic. It's it's yourself. I've always wow. viewed you as that. Is it just that you have a reputation for it? You're like you know, wow. of just you know, there's there's people that you have your, you know, that are just pure. Me take natural talent. Take like a Danny Cass, for yep. example, right? or Bozong, or, or yep. Bozong, exactly. And then you then you have somebody. Like yourself and I and I put myself in the category of that. Like it didn't come natural, to right? Me. So I always admired the work ethic. So take us back. So we were talking about the high school stuff. I want to know more about picking up from there, like how you got from there to getting sponsored and getting your foot in the door. First, thank you. That's a to me that's a huge compliment. You know, I would, uh, yeah. I mean, and that that goes with like this arc of moving out west and everything. So, um, at eighteen, I was graduating high school and I had to apply to colleges because our school had a hundred percent college acceptance rate. So they wouldn't allow me to just not apply to colleges. <laughs> so I applied to a bunch of art schools cause I was doing art at the time. And, um, and I got accepted to some schools, which was really cool. Uh, but then I told my parents, I was like, listen, I want to defer for a year and like move out West and, and try this, this snowboarding thing. And I didn't, my only contact out West was my sister who had moved to Lake Tahoe, which was again, like my sister Carrie, which was unbelievably fortunate situation to even have that contact. So, um, but my parents, you know, actually a couple things. Number one at 18, I was skating and snowboarding the same. Like, so I was an obsessed with both equally. Um, and it's funny because I had this casual conversation with my dad one day and I was like, and it's funny thinking back, but I was like, should I move to, cause at the time, San Francisco was like skate Mecca of like 93 and, or, you know, 98 at this point. But I was like, should I move to San Francisco and be a pro skateboarder or should I move to Tahoe and be a pro snowboarder? Oh, wow. As like, those are like my options. It's like, should I be Batman or should I be Superman? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, you know? And, um, and it's funny cause my dad is always pretty hands off with like, he's like always let us kids kind of decide, make our own decisions. He never wanted to really be, you know, like telling us exactly what to do. Um, cause he was always like, this is your life. Like you need to do your thing. Like, you know, y- you get this opportunity and I'm not going to try to force anything down, down your throat. So, um, he, uh, he was just like, well, 
he was like, yeah, do whatever you want, you know? And he's like, but you could think about like where you want to live. He's like, do you want to live in like an inner city and skating in like alleyways and like kind of a dirty city? Or do you want to live like in the mountains in these like pristine mountains where like nobody's is. And coming from my background of like growing up kind of in the woods and uh, in the countryside, I was just like, Oh yeah, like mountains sound cooler than the city. Like, okay, I'll move to Tahoe and be a pro snowboarder. Like in my mind, you know, I was like, oh, I'll do Tahoe. So just like that, I decided. And uh, my sister was able to get me a job. Oh, here's the other thing my parents said. They were like, if you go to college, we'll we'll do what we can to help you out. Like we'll help you get an apartment or like, and help you with food and student loans and things like that. And they were like, but if you move out West to be a pro snowboarder, like we, you will not get a dollar from us ever again. And it was like, not in a malicious way or like, oh, we're disowning you. It was just like, hey, you're trying, you're choosing a path that is like, is kind of wild. And like, if you're going to do that, you're on your own. Cause like, we think that this is like, you know, my mom and, and my dad were both like, college is probably like the safe bet here, you know? Um, and they were like, so if you do this, it's got to be on your own. And granted, they were like, We'll be here. You can always call us. Like if it, if it doesn't work out, if if you get injured, you can always come home and like figure it out. Like it wasn't like you're getting kicked out on the streets, but it was very much like you are doing this on your own 100%. And so I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. You know? Um, so moved to Lake Tahoe. My sister got me a job renting pedal boats and I moved to Tahoe with, I think like, I think I had $700. So, and that's it. And no, help on the back end. Like that was, and I got that from working with my dad. So it was like 700 bucks and no plan B at all, you know? Um, and Lake Tahoe rented pedal boats at this place in South Lake called Zephyr Cove worked there for the summer. And then, um, fortunately they also knew, uh, someone who worked at Kirkwood as a nighttime janitor. So, and that was like the most ideal thing ever because it was a, I could ride eight hours a day and then I was a janitor from 4 p.m. until midnight and then sleep eight hours and up, up at the resort at nine. And I mean, I was riding like eight hours a day. Luckily, um, I met, you know, two of the nighttime janitor guys were these hardcore snowboarders. They still are Danny uh, Sheehan and Benny Gramarosa. Um, became, I was roommates with Benny and Danny was on the nighttime janitor crew and we would just, we rode eight hours a day every single day that whole winter. What's funny is that Kirkwood is like a free riding Powell resort and they barely even had a park or they had a little park, but like I was all about, I was just like, I want to hit rails. So like I would straight up be digging out handrails on powder days and they were just like, you're now you're, you're a crazy person, you know? Um, but they taught me to like appreciate powder. Cause I was like, powder's boring. That's for old people. Like I want to hit rails and, and do like backside rodeos, you know? Um, so that winter, so that winter, I like, I backed that. I want to hit rails and do yeah, back rodeos. That. <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so that whole winter, yeah, just like busting my ass working. Um, and, uh, and then fortunately those two also worked in the kitchen at Wendell's. And I mean, Mount hood was always like the dream for me because I knew that that was like the epicenter. And also real quick, kind of not to go off, but like sidebar, but you know, we were kind of talking about the difference between nowadays with social media and the difference, you know, like it's interesting now you can live like anywhere, film yourself, throw it up and like be seen, you know, which is 
good because you could just be anywhere and be seen. It's bad because everybody can do that. So it gets oversaturated. But it was interesting, like back in the day, I mean, there were probably kids at my local resort who were better than me and all in the Green Mountain series who were way better than me and stuff. But it was like, it was the people who risked moving across the country Mm -hmm. to find those other people who were like them, who were like more obsessed than anybody who who wanted to watch ride eight hours a day and then go home and watch seven hours of snowboarding videos and then read <laughs> snowboard magazines when you're not doing that. And it was like, and you really had to like move across the fucking planet to find those people. And to me, that was like, that is what set a lot of that us apart from the people who didn't, you know, cause you really had to risk it to, to try to be a pro. You couldn't just like film at your local resort, throw it up on Instagram and like hope you get noticed. Um, but anyways, Move up to top, um, Mount Hood. I, drove, I bought a $600 1978 Toyota Corolla. Things are beast. It's so sick. Um, still love that car. But drove that up to Oregon. Follow those guys. They got me a job at Wendell's as the dishwasher in the kitchen. No pay. No, no pay. No pay. Uh, yeah, so nowadays, you know, diggers and people are up there are like, oh, man, we only make like $800 a session or something. I'm like, dude, we didn't make any money. Like, we didn't get paid at all. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, we worked for free, but you got to eat because we were in the kitchen. They gave us a, a room at the Ark. It was like a tiny-ass hotel room with like eight bunk beds in it. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> yeah, legendary place. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then um, we... Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, no pay, but again, food. And then we got a pass so we could ride all day. So, I mean, that summer, that summer was my like whole, like, you know, coming of age, whatever, because I had had all of these tricks in my head and all these things, but like Kirkwood was like, helped me, but Mount Hood was like, holy shit. Like the level of riding there at that time. I mean, it's still epic, but like, especially at that time, like there were gnarly dudes there all summer and everyone was like training and going off and you could still film like video parts in the resorts so people were like pushing the limits and you could just see it happening so that energy was like insane and here i am just like this dishwasher it was gnarly woke up at 5 a.m there was no dishwasher either there was no like machine you put it in it was hand wash every single dish so every morning 5 a.m to 9 you're hand washing 400 plates forks knives all that stuff just soaking wet and covered in eaten food. Like it was pretty gnarly. Then we go up to the mountain, ride until four, rush down at four, hit, go back to the dish pit and then wash dishes until probably like seven. And then I would skate from, because I was like skate parks. Oh my God. And I would skate from like seven till nine and then repeat that. And that summer, my, I probably learned, you know, a massive amount of tricks and it was like all kind of came together. I got to, I got to verify that because I talked to Jared Winkler yesterday who was (laughs) head digger at High Cascade at that time. And he's like, if I can say one thing about Eddie, the summer that he worked for me up there, he would hike every single day. He's the only person I've ever seen rain, wind, shittiest conditions ever. He is up there hiking the mailbox in the pouring rain. He's like, everybody else is like, we shouldn't go up. He's like, I need to go up and, and hike the rails. And uh, it, it was just really cool because you're explaining this. And then everybody else you ta- I talked to is verifying like, dude, it was That's crazy the drive he had, you know. That's I got a quick cool. Patreon question yeah. too. Yeah. Um, some of this you've answered, but some you didn't. This is from Dan. First of all, thank you, Patreon. We could not do this without you. We appreciate you guys. Your support is huge. 
This is from Dan. As a fellow East Coaster, I was always inspired by your sacrifices to move out West and pursue your dreams. Can you talk about the decision, and do you have any advice for anyone at any age thinking about following their dreams? I think you've talked about your decision, but maybe the advice part. Great question. Yeah, great question. And I think uh, you kind of nailed it when you said sacrifice, because that is one thing that I think a lot of people, and dare I say like this younger generation, but I don't want to like throw people under the bus as far as that. But like the thing about following your dreams and, and becoming successful is, is I think a lot of people either think it just kind of happens or it's lucky or they're right place, right time. But any story that you look at, I mean, it's 100% brutal sacrifice and hard work and you need to sacrifice. Like there's no, there's no like way around it. And there's a lot of people who are just kind of sitting around like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get this. And it's like, no, you're not like, you will, you're, you're going to wake up and it's not going to ever come to you because you need to like pound down those doors. You need to like kick them in and you need to go, you need to like show up and, and be a janitor and humble yourself. And you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy. I think people are forget that to kind of pursue, to pursue your dreams that it's sacrifice. It's hard. It's not easy. It's not even fun. A lot of times it's like hard, hard ass work. And yeah. And I think that's something I, I, that would be my suggestion to anybody who is going to follow their dreams. It's like, do it, but also like, just know it's going to be fucking hard, but it's going to be worth it because, and I also say too, the, the beauty about following something that you love to do is like, if you start at, you know, zero and your goal is to hit 10, if you work your ass off and you struggle and you fight for it and you fight for it, even if you don't reach the 10, like even if you don't become the pro, you, you're still going to, re- you might reach an eight or a nine or a seven or a five, but guess what? You're not at zero anymore, right? So you're still going to be in a better place that you were before you started off the, the journey of like following your dream. So yeah, that would kind of be. I like what, what you the- said about like everyone sitting in the East Coast, there's kids better than you making that move to where the community is is what gets you in there. It's a sacrifice. Maybe you don't make it the pro. Maybe you become a rep. Maybe you become a product designer. Yeah. But that's your in. Yep. And you got to make that sacrifice and make that move with $600. Yeah. Also, yeah. what was the quote you had about the feet, the foot quote or whatever? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, yeah, I complained that I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And, I mean, that's just something I've I've, just my entire life as far as any situation goes. Um, I mean, it's funny. You see people complaining about stuff and I'm just like, are you serious? Like you have a car, you have all your, you have your health, you have all your limbs, you're, mm-hmm. you live in a good place. Like, you know, it's like we have very, very, very little to complain about mm-hmm. ever. And so I think that's a good thing to consistently remind yourself mm-hmm. of. And um, yeah. So I also like what you're talking about too. Cause you know, going back to social media, it's such a funny thing because it's a facade, right? You see you see somebody and a lot of times you might look at somebody's life or what they have and you might say, well, I want what they have. I want what that person has. Now, that you see the end result, but then you really have to ask yourself is, do I want to do what that person did to get what they have? And so for me, the answer is almost always no. Like, 
do I want to do, do I want to win the Olympics? Fuck yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, I want to win the Olympics. Do I want to wake up at the gym at six a.m. and learn how to do eighteen hundreds and fucking get destroyed and knuckle the jump and fucking you know knock myself out and fucking all that stuff? No, I don't. Right. I want to do a would backward eighty cool? no grab. And <laughs> would it be cool to climb Mount Everest <laughs> and peak to the top? Yeah. Fuck yeah! And and, and that's want to lose my toes. But, Hell no! Yeah, but that's a great analogy where you look at when I look at the snowboard industry, it's small, but you know, there's a lot of people that say, "Well, I've I backlip the kink grill. I saw the pro do it and come through. And why do why not? Why am I not pro? Well, it goes back to the word sacrifice. You said, and there's and there, and there's a lot more layers to it too. It's a complex conversation, but. Yeah, it's not. It's not. What do you want? What they have? Do you want to do what it takes to get there? That's interesting. Yeah, I there was a um, this like a meme or something that was going around, and it was um, it was kind of like ground level, and it showed a little podium, and it had like first, second, and third, and then but then like under the ground, it kept going like a big giant pyramid, and this was like everything like that they had that they had to do Mm -hmm. to get up to that very top, and there were like you know everyone only sees the podium mm-hmm. and no one ever sees like the 6am wake ups and laying in the gym and getting injured and coming back and getting surgeries and all of that, which mm-hmm. we'll get into that stuff too. But yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's, yeah, again, it's, you just, it's a hard ass work and there's a lot of sacrifice and you, you have to be willing to, to do that. And there's risk, you know, you got to take the risks, you know, like, uh, oh, sometimes you're going to have to quit your job and move somewhere else where you don't know anybody. And it's super scary and it's wild. And, but again, it's like the, what do they say? It's like the, you have to go out on a limb to get the freshest fruit or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, so before that we were talking about Mount Hood. So where were we at? Uh, I think you were just talking about Jared Winkler. Yep. And, um, yeah. And so um, basically, yeah, the first summer of Mount Hood, I was a dishwasher. And that was really exciting for me because I, I had got, it was, that was really my first time getting to see or meet any pros like Pat A, Pat, a, Pat Abramson from back Pat in the a. day. Yeah. Pat A. Uh, a bit of a legend back in those days. Oh yeah. Big time. And then, uh, and then uh, Barrett Christie, I met her one of my first summers out there, which was just so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, she is like, you know, God. And, um. And yeah, I was, uh, that was just a very, it was like, I found my people, you know? I mean, Kirkwood was kind of like that, but Mount Hood was like, oh my God, I found people who, again, like they want to snowboard all day and then they want to go home and watch videos all night and then talk about it until they fall asleep. And it's funny. We just watched like the documentary on uh, Venus and Serena Williams and it was funny because they were playing tennis all day and then it shows them at night and they're like studying tennis videos. And I remember thinking, I was like, oh man, that must be boring. Like watching tennis videos all night, you know? And then I was like, oh wait, duh. That's like what we did our whole lives or still do. Yeah, like, you love it. Yeah. You just like keep <laughs> watching snowboarding videos. Like you ride all day and then keep watching them. So it's, it really is like, it was cool to find like-minded people who, who also, if you were like, I want to be a pro snowboarder, they were like, fucking sick me too you know and you're like oh my god there's other i'm not the only crazy human Mm -hmm. out there like all those people on the east coast were wrong like this is epic you know some of them were right yeah yeah and so um so after that summer again my theory on becoming a pro was like again i had working in my hood i mean at this time i had bought that car I, i i probably had i didn't have a cell phone i didn't have a computer i didn't have I didn't have a bank account because I didn't have any money. I had literally like, it's like I pulled out my wallet and what was in there is what I owned in life, you know? (laughs) So it was pretty wild. And, and again, no backup plan, no support plan. So it was like, 
it was uh, pretty wild, but I was just having a, so much fun and I wasn't even really thinking about anything. I was just like, ride, 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 you know? And, it, and my theory was one, if I work, if I'm more obsessed with this and I work harder than everybody else, hence like learning two seventies in the rain or going up when it's icy, like just go, go, go. If I do that and if I like go to where all the best people are and I become as good as them or even better, I'm like, then I, I'm going to get sponsored. I think like that's, you know, that, that was my theory. So Mount hood was obviously top of that list. And then the next thing, and again, there's no internet back then. Like there's no chat rooms. There's no, uh, there's no, um, Instagram or Facebook or social media. So like I'd be asking people like, where do the pros snowboard? Where, where should, where are you going this winter? Where are you going? Like some people are like, Oh, we're going to go to Brighton and we're going to go down here. And, and, but what was consistently said was mammoth. It was like, we're going to go to mammoth. Like mammoth is where like all the pros are riding. Mammoth is where they're building the biggest jumps. And so, uh, and so I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's where I'm going to go. What year? I think the summer I was working at Mount hood was either the summer of 1999 or yeah. Or 2000. So I probably moved to Mammoth the winter of 2000, like the fall of 2000. Like the Colorado days were done. Right. Basically, everyone was making an exodus for either coming to Utah or going to Cali. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so probably, yeah, 99, 2000. Yeah. And, um, and so, again, I was like, all right, well, I have no money. I have nowhere to live. I don't, and this time I didn't know anybody in Mammoth. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to cold call the lodge asked for the nighttime janitor manager and get a janitor job again. Cause that was like the best ideal situation, um, for having your days free called down. They were like, yep, yeah, we got a spot. Like, you can, and I was, uh, you know, turned in my resume. Yes. I've already been one year, uh, <laughs> a janitor, uh, comes with a pass. Um, yeah, exactly. You're at Mammoth Lodge. Um, yeah, comes with a pass and employee housing which is the other one had too. So like, that's the, that's the best part. Cause you, you get your lodging and your pass and you, you, we obviously got paid not very much, but like enough to eat. So, um, and that's all I needed. So I was like, awesome. So then I like packed up my little 78 Toyota Corolla and go, 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 and then made the trip from Oregon all the way down to mammoth. Just cold. That car is older than you, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a great segue for a guest question, uh, from none other than Kevin Jones. Uh, I got to preface this because for the people listening, the video will be on the screen. He's asking this question, um, hanging on a snowboard um, from a rock climbing wall. So just uh, put that visual in your head. Oh, that's what he's doing. Yeah, he's, he's at his house. KJ, he's, he's hanging on a rock climbing wall with his snowboard on. <laughs> so if you're, if you're listening, just to give you a visual context. <laughs> oh, hey. Eddie. Rags to riches story, Mammoth Lakes. The world wants to know. That's it. That's the question. The world wants to know. <laughs> he wants to know the rags to riches rags Mammoth to riches. story because I know he plays a part in that. He does. He Kevin plays a huge role in that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean a massive role. He, yeah. Um, so, okay moved down to mammoth and right when i started i started working as a nighttime janitor living in the employee housing that summer um when i was the dishwasher i had been um like riding really well and kind of turned a couple of heads and 
And so two of the guys who were working up there, Corey Smith uh, from Smith Optics, not mm. not Spring Break Corey Smith, but different Corey Smith. Um, and Corey Smith and then um, uh, Brian Craighill. And uh, Brian Craighill, I think he might have been a digger at the time or maybe he was a coach, I forget. But they were both working at Wendell's. After that summer, they had both got jobs at... Uh, Craig Hill got a job at K2 and uh, Corey Smith got the TM job at um, Smith Optics. So, I mean, I'm guess I'm assuming that when they got the jobs, they were they their boss or whatever said, "Do you got do you have any young kids to to bring up?" And I'm assuming they said, "Oh man, this kid at Mount Hood was riding pretty good this summer. The, the dishwasher Eddie, uh, maybe we should start hooking him up." So. So Smith Optics, Corey Smith, that was technically my very first sponsor. And I think they paid me like 200 bucks a month or something. And they gave me free goggles. And I'll, I never remember because I was still a janitor. And I remember they sent me goggles. And we all opened the box like in the employee housing. And they were like, everyone was like, what? so they just like gave them to you for free? And like, oh my God. And we were, we were like, oh, we could never even imagine buying goggles this nice. And everyone was freaking out. And then shortly after, Brian Craighill called me, team manager of K2, and he was like, do you want to be on the K2 team? And I was like, sure. Like, holy smokes, this is unbelievable. So, um, which at that time, I mean, it was Travis Parker, uh, Bobby Meeks, Louis Fountain. Like, that was a hammer, hammer team. Um, and so about halfway through that season of um, being a nighttime janitor, I was probably a janitor until like, I don't know, January or something or February. It, then those guys gave like between those two paychecks, I had enough to quit the janitorial job. So I left the janitorial job so that I could just snowboard all day um, and then rest at night instead of work eight hours. Um, and they had, uh, but I, I kind of quit and I didn't really consider the fact that I was living in employee housing. So then all of a sudden I have to rent a room and my room to rent, I think was my, this math could be off, but it was something like, my, my room was four, I think my room was 460 bucks a month. And I think I was total making $500 a month and then 20 bucks a month I, I would do for gas. So ru- I was roughly living off of like 20 to $40 a month in food for that whole season. Ooh, yeah. They didn't take your pass away. Um, n- you know, what's crazy is you I lucked out on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. I don't think they did A little loophole. Yeah, unless the only thing I could think is if if they did, maybe K two bought me one, but I don't remember that. That's a good point. Maybe if you work until Jan, they're just like, yeah, yeah. That's a great, you know, and no one's ever asked me that. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, I kept riding, so I don't know how that worked. But, um, but anyways, yeah. So that winter, but again, I thought I was the richest man in the world. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. I I could, I just bought like I ate peanut butter sandwiches and spaghetti just that whole winter. Um, and it was fine. I just couldn't believe that I would ride all day and get home at night and I could just like stretch and watch snowboard videos. Like this is, I was like, this is the best. And our house, like barely, I don't, it had a wood burning stove, but it didn't heat the rooms the way it was set up. So like, there's like the stories of like going into pee in the middle of the night and the toilet has like the thin layer of ice. We, we would sleep in really? all, our, yeah, sleep in all our snowboard gear, like full on, hats, beanies, everything. Cause the house was just like the same temperature as outside basically. Um, but we were still snowboarding every day. So it was epic. Um, so I'm on K2. So that season is when I started. Um, one of the first big things that happened 
was there was a flat down rail in the Mammoth Park. And again, this is when you could like film legit video parts in a park. And there was a flat down and Kevin Jones, there was, it was just in the middle of the day. So they were filming on it, but it wasn't like closed or private. Like other people were hitting it. I think it was like Matt Hammer was hitting it. Gabe Taylor, probably Kevin Jones, Tarakidis. Um, and, uh, we, I just remember rolling up. Like I obviously didn't know any of those guys and I was just like, Whoa, this is, this is crazy. And Kevin was trying frontside four fifties. And I was good at spinning like switch frontside cab or I don't know people say that or whatever, but yeah. And so I was like, Ooh, like I, I knew I could do cab two seventies. So I was like, oh, I'll try some cab four fifties. And like that day he landed the front four fifty, and I landed a cab four fifty. And this, he was being filmed. I think he was probably being filmed by like, um, Mac dog at that time. Um, and I'm thinking it might've been for stand and deliver. And then, uh, but actually Nathan Yant would be the one filming him. Um, and then, uh, and then Tori Pirro was this m- local mammoth filmer and he was filming Matt Hammer for his video called Empire. And so I started, and then he just started filming me as I was hitting it. And then he asked if he could use the clip and I was like, sure. And he, and he was like, are you going to be up here filming, you know, more? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, yeah, let's, let's start filming. And I, and Jared Slater, who's, you know, now gone on to do like really big things in film and stuff. Jared um, was also filming for Tori Pirro at that time. So we just started riding the Mammoth Park every day. And basically we were just snowboarding like as we normally would, but they were filming us. So it was pretty cool. It was like very organic and just kind of like riding and filming it. And then they created a part out of it, you know, during that same time period, it gets a little foggy, but basically like I had met Kevin, um, Oh, I met Kevin that day. We started talking. So Kevin at that time, you know, I think that was like the height of his career and maybe just barely, maybe is just kind of plateauing. And I think maybe, and again, I don't, I don't even know if I've ever talked to him about this. I feel like maybe he was kind of starting to get a little burnt on snowboarding. And like when we met, I think he was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I have this kid who's more stoked on snowboarding than anybody. And he's like kind of, okay, he could kind of feed off of that, which is great because I'm sitting there like, Holy smokes, this is like Kevin Jones. And I'm obviously feeding off of that. So it's this really cool, like a uh, teacher student vibe, like, you know, vibing off of each other. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Kevin, and just at one day, I remember he was like, Hey, do you want me to pick you up? in the morning to, to go snowboarding. And I was like, what in your truck? Like, Whoa, my God, like, this is crazy. And I just had my shitty little car and he pulls up in this like F three fifty dual cab, like bitching ass, like that year, like 2002 or whatever one. And it's just like diesels, like go, 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 go outside of our house. And, um, and then, yeah. And I'm just like, Holy shit. Like, and I just go out and I'm getting rides up to the hill with Kevin Jones. And like, that was, um, that was just like unreal. Like I tell people, it's kind of like if you're shooting basketballs at your local court and then like Kobe comes out of the bushes and he's like, Hey, you want to be on the Lakers or whatever, you know, or like, <laughs> you know, just like, do you want to shoot some B-ball at my house? And you're like, Oh my God. The way, the way Kevin described it is like when he asked you, Hey, do you want to go snowboard tomorrow? I'll pick you up. You're all like, sure, dude, don't mess but up. One don't thing, mess one up. thing he did say that was uh, cool from his perspective hearing it was he said, He's like, I would ride Mammoth more than anybody. That was my thing. He's like, my thing was, 
I would snowboard more than anyone. That was my that was my my shtick. Like he said, he had the mandatory eight, where he had to go do mandatory eight laps at Mammoth, no matter what. And he's like, there was one person that I saw that was out there more than me. He's like, that was Eddie. And so he caught my eye. I would see him ride Mammoth all the time, and that kind of was just a little footnote that he said that I thought was interesting. That's in, that's insane because I've never heard that. Well, mm-hmm. and if you see this young kid doing the four-fist commission. He's going four-fist commission on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's up? It's like your puppy dog with the old dog analogy. Mm-hmm. That younger dog gets the old dog excited, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 it's really crazy you say that because that was, like I said just you know 10 minutes ago, that was always my thing. I'm like if I move to where the best riders are in the world and I was like, if I ride more than them, like I have to get noticed. Like that was, and it's, it's, and that's crazy. Cause I've never heard Kevin say that. And he also was saying he's like from his perspective, cause he's, he's a product of hard work yeah, as well. Absolutely. And he was mentioning, he's like, you know, if you look at snowboarding, there's guys making, you know, four grand a month, but you know, they, they got to take four bong hits before they get off the couch and they were probably not even going to go snowboarding that day. And <laughs> I, you know, was drawn to the younger generation of like, the the drive the work ethic the the like i'm gonna you know work you under the table type of east coast mentality as i like to call it although people work hard everywhere but yeah no absolutely um not in california (laughs) 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 um no it was yeah that's 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 really cool to hear that um but yeah i mean it it was an unbelievable time um in in my life and um and we like during that time, and this was like my first year on K2, um, but I, I wasn't like, I had just kind of got on and I, it was weird because I got an ad. So I don't know if I was like pro or M or what, but like I went on a trip with those guys, which was really cool. Um, but there wasn't, I don't think they were like filming for any projects that year. So they didn't really like have a place for me. So I was just filming for that local Tori Piro's video uh, called Empire and Kevin, um, and that's when Kevin and I were riding a lot. And then Kevin that year was like, Hey, I'm starting a company called genius with Tara Dakitas. And like, you should come on to that with us. And it's like, it's going to be under forum. And I was just like, Whoa, this is now this is getting really crazy because forum, I mean, I loved K2 and I was appreciative of what they were doing, but I mean, of course, like forum is like my dream team. And then Kevin Jones and Tara Dakitas are like this unbelievable duo. And now now they're asking me to be on a team with them that's under forum. And I was just like, holy smoke. So I called K2 and was like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, I appreciate everything you did. But like, I, I basically was just like, this is my dream. Like, this is Kevin Jones asking me to be on a team that Peter Line is like kind of spearheading as far as the design and everything. Um, and so I was like, I have to kind of, I have to do this. And it was really cool. I think I even talked to the president of K2. And, um, and she was like, you know what? She's like, I don't want to see you go. But she was like, I really respect that you're following like the direction you think you should go. And and she even said, since that's a startup company, she's like, if it doesn't work out, let us know. And you can always come back to K2. And I was like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard a company it's incredible. say. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. So um, also at that time in Mammoth was like unbelievable. And actually, I'm kind of skipping ahead because then... So then that next summer I went up to hood and that's when I was a digger working with Jared Winkler, Chris Inglesman, uh, George Oakley, that whole crew, um, epic, epic crew. Um, 
and uh, had another like insane summer just up there just riding eight hours a day with the diggers and that whole community which is just unbelievable life experience like holy smokes i mean digger mountain that's yeah best thing ever but um then the following winter of course go back to mammoth um and at that time i went back and i rented a condo with kyle clancy and zach leach and um it was in crystal villa west in mammoth um our downstairs neighbor was sammy lubke and his mom so which is so funny like they'd come up like we'd be having parties and they'd roll up and like sammy'd be like 12 years old hanging with us and we're all drinking 40s and stuff but it was super it was crazy and it's, it's cool to see where he's taking his career you know um but uh anyways th- and then that was the the winter that like was the mass uh exodus of the east coast or i don't know migration or whatever of all the east coast guys so it was and it might have been the year before but i didn't know them as well or something but it was like you know clancy zach leach colin langlois scotty arnold charlie marachi um lane knack lane knack oh my gosh legend um danny cast matt cast like it was um looking back at it is is crazy because at that time we all knew like oh wow like there's a whole crew of us and we're all just like hellbent on we'd be at the lift like first chair on a park day like groomers like like all right let's rifle off all the fives all the sevens it was just this like training ground and and it was this energy of of like this crew of riders who were all just so hellbent on becoming pros and what is crazy is that honestly it's like almost every single one of those people turned pro. And if they didn't, they were like on flow or kind of pro. Um, and then they ended up getting industry jobs and killing it in the, in that. So it's just like, um, I mean like Kevin Casillo, like Casillo was, you know, he was on, um, you know, on grenade and he was putting out video parts and stuff. World quarter pipe champion. Yeah. That's right. I, I forgot. He, he won one of lot. the fifties, right? He, uh, when they gave away all the fifties backside nine, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And like Casillo killed it. And then it was funny. Cause like, then he kind of faded away a little bit and, um, and then we were like, Oh, like Casillo's not pro anymore. And, but he was working on the back end, getting an industry job. And now he's murdering it at vans. And he's like one of the big dudes at vans. And I'm yeah, crazy how that all works. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> God, and I'm like, dude, that's the best. Like, okay, Casilla didn't go and win the X Games or the Olympics, but he he made a name for himself and then now is killing it in the industry. And uh, again, that's like one of those things of like, go for your goals because you never know where you're going to end up. And like, I have massive respect amount, like massive amount of respect for Casillo and um, and all those guys, Sketchy D. I mean, Sketchy D ended up getting good jobs in the industry. And it, it's just like a, a, yeah, anyways, that was a very cool time in snowboarding. Um and for us, we kind of thought that was like just normal and how it was going. Cause that was all our first times doing that. But, um, to, to look back on that, that was pretty insane because that's not, there haven't been a whole lot of those since like when it just happened to be like 15 young kids showed up at a mountain, all like barely sponsored. And then every single one of them went on to be mm-hmm. pretty well-known you know names and the energy was so iconic too because i remember danny cast like at the x games when he was wearing like the army helmet oh yeah and the grenade army is huge uh, headphones headphones on and clancy's like if you know i remember like clancy was like if you know what's up like clancy's the dopest you know and then (laughs) you have lane and he's doing like cab five stiffies and and, like shane flood and everybody's cutting the sleeves off their jacket (laughs) i'm buying like jackets and cutting the sleeves off (laughs) and like on the east coast to try to look cool and (laughs) freezing it was was incredible (laughs) what that 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 time capsule to me like grenade mammoth early days 
a very special Iconic. time. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was unreal. Um, and yeah, so basically that next winter of mammoth is when I got onto genius and Kevin got, you know, all the geniuses sent to his house and, and it like happened. And then also huge thing is that Kevin introduced me to Steve Astafin, um, who at that time had an agency called the family and then later moved over to Wasserman media group, which was WMG, but Astafin, um, I mean, absolutely altered my career and life because I was just so hyped on snowboarding. If someone was going to give me a thousand bucks a month, I would have taken it and been happy. But he was like, no, no, no. He's a hustler. Yeah, he is a boss and he makes people pay what they should be paying and probably some more, which is fine. I'm like, great, cool. Let's do that. And, uh, and so, (laughs) yeah, so he, he really killed it for me. Um, and, uh, yeah. Toss him a little, uh, he watches the show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That uh, he Aspen is a real so big. It part. seems like if you look at how long was it from, like washing dishes for free, to genius. How, what was that time period? Um, two years. Two years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. It's pretty. Quick. And then Come your on. list of sponsors from there. I mean, I've always just while we're on it, you know, like I don't know how DC came about, but to me, like Genius Forum DC, like those are those, especially at that time, Grenade. I yep. mean, I don't think there's a better, solid, solid better list. roster of sponsors, really. Yeah, it was like a dream come true. Um, you know, uh, especially, yeah, I mean, what, like the path, it was basically Genius, DC, and then Grenade, but then DC became Forum, and um, or we got morphed onto the team there. So, yeah. Right, there genius, be, genius became genius Forum. Became said, became oh, what did I right? say? You said DC. Oh, sorry, sorry, Genius. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, it was unreal. I, again, I couldn't believe it. Like just two years before I was had, you know, maybe uh, 200 bucks to my name and was like worshiping these guys. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm like sitting in a tour bus with them. Yeah, you're hanging with them. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, Eddie's on the team and I'm in, in photos with them and stuff. And even to this day, I still see that weird. Like I'll see like the video gangs or whatever. And I just see everybody. And then there's me and I'm like, well, that, that's just <laughs> not, that's not right. Like, like <laughs> it's like that. I don't belong with, with these guys. Like I shouldn't be standing next to Devin and Bjorn and JB Woo. and Peter. And like, this is psycho. A lot of them are over your shoulder. Right I know here. this photo from the resistance is insane. I took a photo of it earlier. Um, and Rob Mathis shot, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. Um, such a dope one. But, uh, but yeah, so that time was, yeah, that time was insane. Um, Let's see. I think Brian Botts. So I had gone to the um, team challenge with K2 before. This is before Genius. Gone to the team challenge at Snow Summit with K2 and Chris Inglesman. It was like me, Inglesman, maybe Travis Parker, Bobby Meeks, Louis Fountain. That was the team. And we won. And then I won best trick because I did a 450. And on that trip, I remember this because I was with all the grenade dudes and I had just shaved my head into a mohawk, like ah. just drunk in the hotel. And I was going down to the pool and I, it was like middle of the winter and I just had swim trunks and a fresh mohawk. And like, there's a dude in the elevator with like a whole stack of DCs. And I was like, oh, whoa. And he's like, oh, hey, I'm Brian Botts. Uh, and he's like, I'm the DC TM. And he's like, do you, he's like, yeah, I kind of want to talk to you. And I was just like, and I just remember thinking, Oh, this guy probably thinks I'm a fucking idiot because I have a mohawk right now. Like, you know, and, um, but, but, uh, anyways, he was like, Yeah, I want to talk to you about getting on DC. And I was like, Yeah, like, let's talk. And then that's how, and then I, we did well at that, at the team challenge. That was the first time I ever saw Lowry Heskari as well. He was riding a hammer snowboard, I believe. And he was, was riding a hammer. I think, yeah. I didn't and, know that. and he was wearing like the, 
baggiest pants and he was wearing like green a-frame oakley's but with no lenses because it was night shoot <laughs> and we were all riding a pipe and like he had like a raccoon tail hanging off and he had a mini disc that was just like flapping like all wow. these OG. yeah all these danglers and i remember um danglers yeah i remember just somebody being like oh that kid's gonna get onto forum for sure and i was like what like, oh, really? really yeah because they were like he just looks like jp and those guys and i was like oh and and then granite yeah, later the skill to back it up yeah 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 well, I think this is a good segment for a fan favorite Woo. of the show. Do you know what that is, I was, I was just thinking that. It's name that video part. Oh. Best of luck. Okay, name that video part is presented by Mammoth Mountain, which we've been talking about quite a bit. And I would attribute a lot of uh, Eddie's success to Mammoth Mountain, huh? Oh, Absolutely. Where where were you? Uh, where were your stomping grounds in the park? Were you a main park? Were you a South Park? Uh, yeah, uh, we were pretty much hundred percent main park. Yeah, Showtime. You're chucking under the chairlift, Just letting them know. Chucking. That's how you get noticed up there, huh? Yep. Yeah, I gotta hit the hit the big drums. See, the thing is, if you go to Mammoth, uh, Kevin Jones might see you from the chairlift, and you might get turned pro. So, a um, couple things about Mammoth. If you get this video part correct for the listener. Uh, we're giving away four free lift tickets from our friends over at Mammoth. Uh, right about now, their park is absolutely bumping, huh, buds? Eight parks. They got eight. How many half pipes? Three half pipes. They got a little dog for guys like me, big dog for medium for a guy like you, big dog for guys like Sean White. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, also, I think they should rename the pipe to uh, Buds's Buds's Mini Pipe because you Buds's kind of, little mini pipe. Buds kind of puts a beat down on that thing. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> So, again, uh, if you go to Mammoth, be sure to tag at Mammoth Mountain, um, and they're a huge supporter of the show. This spring, we might actually have a big air contest in the mini pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest air, smallest pipe. We should get a GoFundMe for the Switch McTwist, but bring that thing out of retirement. Might have to design a special, because uh, that was a little small last time, maybe a five-foot wall. Okay, copy that. Really copy slushy. That. It's gonna now, Maybe an airbag, too. Well, let's get into the Name That Video Part segment. You being, a, I would say, kind of a video part pro, this is big for you. Um, you have a lot to lose here. I do. Uh, a lot of credibility on the line. Right? On the line right I'll now. be honest. I mean, I've obviously watched and listened to the bomb hole a lot. And uh, knowing I was coming on here, I was like, because I've kind of been known to be obsessive about video parts yes. and videos in general for my whole, like, and so I was like, oh, damn, this is a, this could go bad. If you, I don't know it, it's going to shatter my uh, reputation of being yes. a video guy. <laughs> it's going to be shattered if you don't get this. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no. So zero through 10, what's your confidence level? I'll go with the, okay, well, I'll go with the seven. Okay. It's a solid number. It's respectable. Okay, here we go. giving him a long one that is a gr that's a great video part that is a one of the greatest parts of all time i'm gonna say damn you're also in the movie yeah Ooh. so is it it's it's uh it's a dc mountain lab uh i will say pre-mountain lab uh you have a great part in this movie in this movie, you have an anecdote about powder jumps, hip jumps, oh, falls, yeah. worst concussions. Promo copy. Yep. And that was, uh, is that Ika? Nope. Lowry. Canadian. 
Oh, Simone? Yes, it oh. is. Hey, look at that. Charm. See, I knew I would get it. Right out of the gates. No hints or anything. That's Simone Chamberlain promo copy part. Oh, it's man. Incredible. You got yourself a bomb hole cooler. It's the last one. Wow. Hey, you kind of lucked out. Oh, all right. And uh, it's filled with bomb hole merch. What do we got in there? We got some uh, sweatshirts. All sorts of good we stuff. We got mugs. We got socks. Oh, my gosh. All of these Yo, items. It's, oh, it's damn. Oh, beanie. Oh, this beanie is sick. All available at bombhole.com. So, wow! Um, yeah, uh, you got an Eastone air freshener right there. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, dude! This. Is, oh, you got a keychain. Yeah, key key yeah, yeah, we got plenty of those. Bombhole. Thank you guys. This is this is awesome. Yeah, go to bombhole.com. Got it. Buy some of this. Support, I heard there's support all the kids, sorts of kids up at Brighton with those keychains dangling. Oh, are they dangling? On the outside. Wow. Yeah, that's the uh, word on the street. Wow, let's give those kids an air horn. Let's get those danglers going, guys. Shout out to Mark Dangler for those keychains. <laughs> <laughs> he had nothing to do with them, but his last name is Dangler. But he sure can dangle. Okay, so uh, if we're getting into name that video part, again, this is for four lift tickets. That's heavy. Mammy, if you know this one. Um, okay, here we go. Okay. That's some jazzy shit right there, son. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we would like to thank you for participating in Name That Video Part. Buds, I think we should maybe get into a couple Patreon questions. Um, and for those who are unfamiliar with Patreon, from anywhere to 5 to 50 bucks a month, you can support the show. Uh, every time we have a guest on, we do a little behind-the-scenes interview. We have uh, behind-the-scenes photos. You know who the guest is. You get a chance to ask a question on air. And it uh, enables us to keep being idiots and talking into the microphone. <laughs> so that being said, what do we got for Patreon questions? Bud? i got a couple I really want to hear the answers to. Okay, here we go. Number one is from a uh, legend, Lane Knack. Oh, the best. Have you ever greeted a pizza delivery man in the nude? Lane Knack, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. Man, uh, yeah, quick behind-the-scenes story. That was a trip that we did. The whole grenade crew just hopped in trucks and RVs and whatever we had, and we all drove from Mammoth up to uh, Bachelor for the Grand Prix. There's a Grand Prix Big Air and Half Pipe competition, and it was with like Danny and Lane and all of those guys. And that was like one of my big first trips with those guys um so even though they were all my friends i was like still just like whoa this is cool you know and i had and um this was early on and way early on in those mammoth days and yeah we uh it was cool it was, it was total road trip like shotgunning red bulls as we're driving and just like uh or like beer bong beer bonging red bulls and like all like <laughs> beer bong yeah beer bull. bonging red bulls Woo! And like just doing dumb, you know, stuff. And um, yeah, we got a condo up there, and uh, and then I um, they dared me to like we ordered pizza, and they were like, "Oh, Eddie, you have to like." They dared me to open the, go to the door naked, and then you know, stupid kid stuff, but pretty funny. I think they might have filmed it. it might have been in one of the grenade videos. You and were covering your genitalia with your hands. I yes, think. I was. Yeah. You yeah. might have right. caught a case these days yeah. doing that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. Could have been the end of his career. Yeah. yeah that's what, a, what else we got for Patriots? I got bud? another one that I really want to know the answer to, and this is from another legend, Cole Barish. Oh, yes. Cole's the best. Hi, Edward. Can <laughs> Edward. You tell us yeah, about he always... <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about the time you got locked up in jail overnight on a boat from Helsinki to Sweden? I think they call it the brig. The brig. When it's in, on a boat. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Edward, will you tell us about that, Edward? Yeah, Edward. This was a pretty good one, yeah. And I, that's a good question because, I, I mean, I sometimes forget to tell this story. But essentially, I flew into Finland. I actually think it was the other way around. I think we were... I flew we Sweden, Sweden to Finland, but I think we flew into Sweden and um, we were going to do a rail trip. And this was going to be the first rail trip of that. And we flew in and um, when I got to the hotel, everybody, they, I was like a day late because uh, of something. And they were all had all their luggage in the, in the lobby. And I had just like flown across the, the you know, the world and was the pond. the pond and I was all out of it. And then I'm like, Oh, what, what's, What's like, what are you guys doing? Like, I thought we were filming rails here, but there was no snow there. And so they're like, hey, we're going to go over to Finland. And they said, but instead of flying, there's this like boat, this party tour, uh, party boat that goes from uh, Sweden to Finland and it leaves at like 5 p.m. And you just like party and then you pass out and then you get there at like six in the morning or something. Um, so we, you know, we all, so I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's just keep moving along. Like, let's keep the trip going. We all go to the, uh, this this big uh, cruise boat type thing. And it had like a big club in it. And we just started. And the, the beer, like I remember they had beer taps that you could just, you fill up your own beer. It like wasn't even in a bar. And so we were just like filling up hundreds of beers and just pounding them. So we got drunk real quick. But basically Sean Kearns was there and that was his first um, time like meeting or like coming on board. And I had met him before and we had like a pretty good relationship in the past or like the, the year before. But... I don't know what happened, but he just started digging into me because I was wearing my video gangs hat because I, I went through this thing where I was just like, I got that hat and I just loved it. It was like my fucking hat. It was a staple. Yeah. yeah and I just like would just wear it all the fucking time. And it, it never really occurred to me that it was like I was wearing a hat that I was in the movie of that kind of is like weird looking back at it. But it was more like we had to wear those when we were on the tour. And then when the tour was over, I was like fucking I love this hat I'm gonna keep wearing it and I, that's how I am with a lot of my stuff like I find something I like I just wear it until for years anyways he was like going in on me like oh nice hat like oh yeah your oh nice video gangs hat like oh like genius was riding on the coattails of forum and like <laughs> going in on me hard and normally I like don't mind that I like can let stuff like that roll off my back I don't I'm not like a very you know I don't really get um confrontational yes yeah. exactly it but is what it is right I was like jet lagged and hung over or no just like jet lagged and super tired and out of it and drunk and so i had this glass in my hand and i just like basically wanted to throw it at him um because he was digging going into me hard oh and then he like ripped it off my head and he kind of like snapped the front strap on it and everything and i and so i was just really mad and i was like gonna throw this glass at him which i had like never done anything like that you know but uh and like between like here, like fully cocked back and then releasing the glass. I just thought like, oh, wait a minute. Um, like if I, he's the head filmer on this project. Like if I do this, I'm probably going to get like not be yeah, in the movie. Bad idea. Yeah. And so between here and here, I just shifted it a little bit and the glass like flew past his head and it shattered against the wall behind him. Right then, like two security guards saw me do that and then they just literally jumped on me and like drug me into an elevator and then just like go down under this cruise boat and i'm like on the bottom floor and they like put me in this concrete box and was freezing and they took all my shit it was like a prison like they took my belt like oh i'm gonna fucking kill myself down here yeah like they took all my shoelaces everything off and like put me in there i was in a t-shirt and my pants no shoes nothing and there's literally like a little thing in the corner to pee in and they just said, stay in here for a while. And they slammed the door. There was some dude next to me who was like losing his mind. And he's just screaming and like, dish, 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 for hours. 
and they go just chill here for a little bit. So I'm in this thing, super bright lights, no way to like cover my eyes up. And it was late and I was already all tweaked. I'm like so out of it. Wow. And so I think I'm thinking they're going to come down and get me in like two hours, like timeout type of thing, dude. So, and then the weirdest thing you fall asleep. There's no windows. There's no nothing. So I would fall asleep and wake up and I'm like, did I sleep for five minutes or five hours? And that's like a real mind fuck. Right. And <coughs> sorry. Um, and so I was, uh, like literally losing my mind because they took my watch. They took everything. Like I didn't know what time it was. And then I start having all these crazy thoughts. Like, cause underneath I'm like on the bo- bottom floor. So you hear like, go, 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 go. And it, cause it was, we're going through the Baltic sea and it's ice going under us. So, and then I start thinking, what if the boat sinks, like hits an iceberg and sinks. Oh shit. And hey, then you're, you're down there. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm just going to drown in this thing. And then I'm like, what if, what if it's airproof? And then it's at the bottom of the ocean and no one comes to rescue me. And I'm like, going to stuck, here, stuck forever. here forever until I starve to death. And I'm like going through all these crazy things. And then I start thinking, cause then I'm like, dude, I've been down here forever. And I'm like, what if they got to Finland, dropped everybody off and they're bringing me back to Sweden to arrest me. Ooh. And then I'm like, damn, my passport's going to be messed up. I'm never, I was like, Oh, it, it, just in my head. Anyways, long story short, they let me out when we had gotten there, which, so I had been in there for like 10 hours or something. And, um, yeah, they let me out and it was funny because when they let me out, the guy was like, he, the, the, the big fucking jail guy or whatever. He's like, you have the right to remain silent. And he's like, anything you can do or say, it will be used against you. And I was like, looked at him like, oh my God, I'm getting arrested. And then he was like, ha ha ha. He's like, that's what they do in the United States, isn't it? <laughs> and then he's like, here's all your stuff. Get the fuck off the boat. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Bye. <laughs> like, yeah. Cole, that was a great story. Cole has one part two. Okay. And we can keep this one. It's kind of a quicker answer. Um, can you explain how much the hotel bill was at the Hotel Lidmar in Sweden when you stayed there for a month? Yeah, Hotel Lidmar. This is a legendary story. Um, long story short, the forum team for that, uh, the whole bit, pretty much like most of the team who was filming rails stayed at this one hotel that year for that forum was like, we just want to make the best video of all time. Like we want to make an amazing video, like just go do it. And however much it costs, it's going to cost. So after one month, uh, our bill was, um, 69 grand because we each had our own room. Um, didn't share room and we, we just got room service for every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I will say, was it actually 69? That's a great number. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing the budgies number. were flowing. Yeah. Budgies that, were that's fun. more than some smaller brands budgets for the whole uh, year. I yeah. Imagine. It was, it was a wild time. Um, but I will say in our defense, we, I mean, we filmed pro- over 50% of the video in like those six weeks. So it was like, we were, heavily heavily productive but we were also like going back every right. night and ordering like tons of room service and stuff so we call burning budge yeah burning the budge yeah out. but i guess they were stacking clips so. but one night was really funny because um they had we had been staying there we we're staying there so we became friends with all the staff because they were like young cool it was this like cool hip like hotel almost like the a, a w or like a ace or something and so we became friends with all the staff and then one night the whole hotel was booked and they were like, oh my gosh, like you guys, we didn't plan on this, but we don't want you to go to another hotel. And then we're like, well, what do we do? And they're like, okay, well, the only thing we have is the entire 
penthouse, the entire floor of the hotel is one room. It's this massive suite and it's like all modern and the whole thing is glass. It's so sick. And they were like, you all have to go stay in that room for, for two nights. And we were like, fucking let's go party like this sounds fun right so we go up to this suite and we're all like oh my gosh it's this huge like it's uh kind of like picture like new york loft style like no walls just one massive open beautiful room and we just start partying and then this half the staff just comes up and they start partying with us and then we were we were ordering room service the it had an elevator that came to the just to that door or whatever so we'd order like cases of beer and wine and like champagne and stuff and there wouldn't even be anybody in the elevator it would just be like bing it's like a dumb way it would right? open <laughs> it would open and then we would just be like oh like and they would just unload the beer and then Let's just keep drinking more. but like it ended up all the staff ended up in the room partying and like all the guests were trying to call and make noise complaints but the staff was all in our room <laughs> <laughs> so it's like yeah anyways so, so yes. you got Man. travis kennedy you got oh stevie, stevie bell bell pat moore yeah uh kareem uh el rafi yeah, yeah. Yep. um dude you Ika? know that kareem opened up yeah. a taco shop i did hear yeah, that. yeah. yeah he's like the he was on tv and stuff like so best stoked. tacos in the in his country dude that dude's a gem but yeah it's uh yeah it was an epic crew yeah that was Sean Kearns, Jeremy Pettit was filming. Um, and yeah, I think it was like Ika. Um, I take uh, it you and Kearns made up. Yeah, you know, Kearns is a pretty tricky dude. To he, yeah. He's got his sides of stuff and whatever, you know. But we made up enough to film for that season and everything. That last and, minute calculation. Yeah, yeah. A very good move. Yeah, <laughs> a very good move. He would have murdered me. Um, but yeah. Well, but, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel this great. thing back into where, where we were going earlier. Um and I'd like to get into rail jams. And I know that you made a hell of a career. You seem to like just, you know what? I'm actually going to skip all that. We're going to get into a guest question from Lane Knack. Here we go. Chris, Ethan, happy holidays, my dudes. Calling in with a question from my old buddy, Wizzle. <laughs> Eddie, how are you, my friend? Over all the years of all the rail jams you've done, curious, how much money do you think the Backside 270 has won you? Hope life is gravy, and hope to catch up again soon. Take care, boys. Love y'all. Love hearing his voice, huh? Yeah, man. Lane is one of the most solid humans ever. Big shout out to Lane. Love that guy. Um, man, yeah, Lane is the fucking best. Um... And it's funny he mentioned the backside 270 because that was like the that was like the the clencher at the end. And I would I was very strategic with those contests. Um, like in warm up, I would only 50 50 all the rails. I would just get the speed, figure out what I was going to do, and then generally those things were like so long, and there's like all these like knockouts and all these things. And I knew like I couldn't just drop in and do the back 270 in the beginning because that was a trick back then that like m- almost nobody had it at, at least consistently, and so. I would like lead up to it with, you know, I do like a couple, I do my switch lip 270 out. That's like, okay, warming up, warming up. Then, you know, some front boards, some back lips, whatever. And then go, okay, now I know I can do cap 270 fakies. I know that. And then maybe an over hard way 270. And then like, I would literally wait till I would, they're like four more minutes. And I'd just be like, here we go. Like just drop in and then just always do the back 270. Cause 
again, you, you, I would see dudes drop heavy tricks right in the beginning. And I'm like, no, dude, the judges are going to forget about that by the time this is over. Good strategy. Yeah. And good. so I would and wait. They get all burnt out, right? Totally. Yeah. And then at the end, they're just like flailing around trying some like nose press and yeah, it's looking like bad. looking bad. Yeah. So you just got to like ease your way up. And anyways, at the very end, I would literally like on the bell, do the back 270, the crowd would go wild and I would just be like, I'm done and like drop my board. And then it would just be like, okay, he fucking won, you know? And so it was, uh, yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the back 270 was a huge part of being able to win a lot of those. Um, and a fiscal let's drop. Bis- on let's that. talk like, about let's some biscuits. Talk let's talk about let's cheddar some biscuits. Numbers. Um, okay. Well, like for example, the thing is too, is I was getting matched at that time by DC, by ah. forum, but that's where like the m- most money came in. Like, so like tripled. <laughs> yeah. Like DC would match it. Yep. And form. And form. And Smith would match it to a certain limit. And Woo. so, I mean, like, for instance, I mean, the Union Square Rail Jam, mm. I won f- 15 grand, but then I probably got another 10 and then another 10. Like, I think that night I roughly made like 40 grand just in like one night. Good Lord. Yeah. And then the s- similar with the. Uh, the Vegas rail jams WCI or no, that's not that's Vegas mammoth. Different. Yeah. Vegas is like, they did it during the trade shows, yep. which was just insane, man. Like the whole industry's there. You're, you're partying at the hard rock hotel. It's in the parking lot. People are just out of their minds. And then there's this rail jam. And then to win those, I mean, we, it was just like, yeah, I mean that one, I don't know. It was like at least like 10 grand, but then I got matched. So that was probably around like 30 grand in a night. And then I won a dirt bike, a flat screen TV, like a couple of grand in, in poker chips. I won a, like two nights in the presidential suite, which I never even fucking cashed in. I just like, what hotel the at rock? the hard rock hard rock if wow. with the bowling let's alley watching, let's let's get that let's see if we can redeem rooms. that That'd we want to redeem that now yeah 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 um what do you think in, I, a, in a one year period just from jams um, Rail jams. I mean, I don't know. Rough estimate, like hundred grand, hundred and fifty grand, or something. I don't know. What Ooh. about uh, U.S. Open? Was a big one, right? Yeah, that was, that was another big one. Yeah, same thing. Like, yeah, because they were all usually like ten to fifteen grand prize, and then I would get matched, like, or at least up to certain amounts, you know. So yeah, that was those were really good. And what's funny is I never. Uh, granted, I was making good money from my regular contract, so it wasn't. But I remember people being like, "Oh, like." I really want to win the 10 grand. I really, and I would be like, oh, weird. Like I never, ever thought about the prize money. I just wanted to be like, I want to win this. So everyone's like, wow, Eddie's the best rider here. You know, like I never, I never gave a damn about the money. No, never, ever. And someone caught me off guard once because we were at the drop-in and they were like, oh yeah, man. Like, oh, it would be so sick to win 10 grand. And I was like, oh yeah. Like I even forgot we were, I was like, I'm just competing to like show everybody like, I have better tricks than everybody else type of a thing. Or like just to kind of get the respect of like, oh shit, he won the contest, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the money was like obviously a major bonus, um, but it wasn't something that was like on my mind. You weren't you there know. trying to stack the biscuit. You were trying to stack the clout. There you go. You know what? what uh, cool? they, you can't win this money anymore, huh? Yeah, they don't do that anymore. But one thing, if you, I was doing my research when I was uh, watching, getting ready for your episode, I was watching the DC Mountain Lab video and there's this awesome clip of Travis Parker it looks like I think selfie filming with like a fisheye camera and you're, you had just won the Vegas uh, rail jam. Your face is all scratched up and you're like talking about how you're going to party tonight. And then you're like in one week I'm going to the DC mountain lab, but like the energy that I love that clip. It's so sick. Yeah. Travis was like, Oh yeah, we're going to go to the mountain lab and we're going to, we're going to jib a missile. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I heard it's going to be the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to the mountain lab in, uh, in exactly seven days. I am. Let's go to the Mount Lab and, and uh, 
We'll go, we got some missiles and stuff there. Go yeah, up. we're gonna um, jib missiles. I've yes. heard pink ones. And it, I heard it's the bomb. I'll see you in the circle tonight. Um, and some of these contests would just give you cash, right? Yeah, oh that that just one did, and you're just like spreading out the cash. It was pretty cool. Like, it, yeah, we need to get these back. And then actually for that one, which was really sick, which I forgot about, is I got to have a, um, Simone and I tied the second year. Um, but we had a, we got for winning, we got like a glass case in the hard rock with all of our gear, which is like, that's a kind of neat thing to Fuck yeah, tick off dude. the list. It's like, Oh, the Beatles, Britney Spears, yeah. Eddie wall. <laughs> like, like, Oh, that's, there that's was cool. So much cool stuff in those glass cases to have one of those. Guitars incredible. and everything yeah. Else. yeah. So I, I, that was a very, I remember seeing that cool, cool we should time. Take up a photo and try to. <laughs> oh, is Mike just got you a might, mind of his you own? You might getting... have a photo of that. It'd be cool to pop that up. Yeah, 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 I do. I actually have, I just saw a photo the other day and it's Simone and I, and we're just sitting at the top waiting for the finals to start. And it's just the two of us. And we're both just looking back and then in, it's just like a sea of people below us. It was such a, it's such a, yeah, that was, those were very cool moments, you know, just like, man, you can't really beat those feelings, you know, especially snowboarding in Las Vegas. I mean, yeah. And then the parties were mental. I mean. I remember, and I would always have to catch up because everybody else, I mean, the contest went, oh, yeah, those ones were, shredding. yeah, we were, obviously we weren't drinking. So like we weren't done till 10 at those contests went forever. And then we were just like, let's go party. And like, holy sending it during those times. Right to the circle bar. Right to the circle bar, which is <laughs> like the best time ever. Yeah. I wonder how many laps we've done around that bar. Back <laughs> <in the day. laughs> yeah. 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 That's like our training. Like you go run laps at the gym. We'll run laps we around the circle bar. Circle bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, I want to I want to change gear into something that I'm personally fascinated with, um, and it's it's kind of uh, the approach, uh, spe- especially in how it pertains to video parts. So, you know, if you look at some people take like maybe a Keegan Velika or something like that, they're they're more like I'm just going to show up and like hit what I what I want and like hit whatever feels natural. <laughs> and then there's some people that are like I'm going to create a list of exactly what tricks I want to do for my video part. Um, and just hearing about how you did USASA and you would write down your run, did you did you have a particular approach to like how you want to film a video part? I want to get this trick. I want to get that trick. How did you how did you approach filming? So this is going to go back to so I'm going to pull a Pat Bridges and and kind of divert this question to <laughs> yeah. give you some backstory. So yeah. just as and this is kind of going to be a big diversion, but we'll get back to this. Yes, it's it. leading up to this. So when my first like real so you know met kevin jones all that stuff sparked i'm on genius and then um we filmed for mac dog pulse and that was like oh my god i'm filming with mac dog been worshiping his videos my whole life and now he's sitting there filming me it's it was nuts then the next year was video gangs and video gangs was going to be like this was because they had done resistance they had done true life and then they're going to do video like they had taken a year or two off and then they're going to do video gangs. And that was the forum was like, we're going to blow this fucking out of the water. Right. So that was a real serious project. And, and they were like, we want you guys to get all these hammers. And this was my first like real proving like, holy shit, I'm going to be in a forum video. Like, holy shit, you know? And so, so we're riding really hard, filmed like tons of stuff in Helsinki and got a real good jump start on my video part. And then I went out to the X games didn't do as well in the X games as I wanted. And after my run, I was like, Oh fuck. Like I didn't do well. or And I was like, let's go film a street rail. So, and Ian 
Ruder and Nathan Yant were there and they were like, dude, don't you just like, you've been riding all day, the slope style course. Like you shouldn't, we shouldn't go hit a handrail. Aren't you tired? And I was like, no, I need to like redeem myself and whatever. So we went to this, this, uh, uh, handrail in, um, at the Aspen high school. And it's like, uh, this curved kink trail and the ledge or rail. There's both. Okay. It's a rail and a ledge. Yeah. yeah. And it's just up above like the other famous kink trail. I think Jeremy back 50, 50 or, mm-hmm. but, um, or was it, would that be? Didn't Ryan Lugier hit one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, the um, yeah, this kink trail. Um, so we're hitting hitting it, and it was funny because I had it was scary. And when I was board sliding, it was like a curved kink trail, real fast, kind of steep, and drop on one side, stairs on the other. This principal came out, and he was like, "You need to get out of here." And I was like, "All right, all right, like one more try, type of thing." And so I did it, and I did the whole rail. It's in video gangs, and I landed fakey, rode away. And then I went to stop in the parking lot, slipped out, and then shattered my kneecap. So, and this is like the very beginning of my career, right? Um, And shatter my kneecap. And they roll, I I start screaming. And it looks, the fall's real mellow. Like, it doesn't even look like I fall. And I start screaming, take me to the hospital, take me to the hospital. And these guys, meanwhile, are like, whoa, like, what's wrong? What do you mean, dude? You barely even fell, you know? They come over, they roll up my pant leg and blood's just squirting everywhere. And my kneecap had cut out, came out of my leg. It was a compound fracture. Compound. Yeah. So they see that and they're like, oh my God, pull around the minivan. So like we jump in the minivan, go to the hospital. um, And they wheel me into the hospital on a stretcher because I couldn't like bend my knee. And so they, and it was like the, all I was, I was screaming the whole way. Why am I not passing out? Why am I not passing out? Because I thought like, I did not know the human body could feel that much pain without passing out. Like that was my only thought. I'm like, you watch movies, like people you get wanted shot. To pass oh out. my God. Yeah. It was so like, it was unbelievable. So they bring me to the hospital. I'm sitting in there uh, and I'm like kind of surrounded by those little curtain things that they put up. And I'm just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And then this luck, like luckily this doctor walks by and he like walks by and then double backs and looks in and he's like, what are you in here for? And I was like, Oh, I think I broke my kneecap. Oh yeah. Like I'm in so much pain. Like, can you get me some morphine or drugs or something? And then he walked over and he like pulled this, they had like an ice pack type thing on it and he pulled it and it was like blood just went and like squirted. And he was like, this is a compound fracture. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I think so. I don't know. And he was like, what, why aren't you in surgery? He's like, this is, he's like, if this gets infected, you could lose your leg. And I'm like, what? And then right then they come in and they like, he like runs away like it's an emergency. And then right then they come with gas and they like put it over my mouth and I'm like passing out thinking I might lose my leg. Did the nurses put the knee knee pack on it? Yeah. Oh. So, so, cause maybe they just didn't realize how bad it was or whatever. Um, so then I get rushed into surgery. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I wake up, you know, whatever it was a couple hours later, eight hours. I don't know how long it took, but my legs just up all wrapped up. I'm looking, I'm like, Oh, I didn't lose my legs. So that's good. <laughs> um, but, uh, the doctor came in and he was like, and the first thing I said is I was just like, when, when can I compete again? Cause this was at the X game. So I was just like, when can I be? And I wanted to make it clear to him, like when not, I not, when can I snowboard again? Like when can I be in the X games again? And he like looked at me in a very like, somber way and he just put his hand on my shoulder and he was like let's focus on walking again and i just started bawling and i was just like oh my god like maybe this is the end of my career so i I was like bawling like just cried for like a little bit 10 minutes and then i like wiped my tears away and i was like give me a piece of paper and a pen and I just start writing down the timeline. I was like, all right, it's, it's February 3rd. I was like, by March, I'm going to be in this. And by, 
this. And I just did a whole timeline right then of like how I was going to train, how I was going to get back, how I was going to be better. And I was like, fuck this guy. I was like, I'm not going to snowboard again. I am going to snowboard and be like at the top again. So back to your question in a way, when I went back to Mammoth with my knee all messed up and the road to recovery was really gnarly because I had to be in this straight leg brace. So the atrophy of my left leg went down like smaller than my like forearm. So it, it was like my, it was like my bone and then my knee was all big. Like it was crazy. Um, and so this took like, I mean, it was a year total, but nine months of like, I would go, I went to physical therapy when they could finally like crack all the cartilage and, and break everything up and I could bend my knee. I sat on a table and they were like, okay, lift your left leg. Like, let's, let's see how you can lift it. And so I went to move and in my head, I just lifted it right, right up. And I, all my strength, I was like, Ugh! and it just, it like flinched maybe an inch. So I didn't even have enough strength in my leg to lift up my own foot. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be a long road to recovery, but let's go. So I just start, let's go. I was like, <laughs> so I just start, so I just start doing like the tiniest things like every day, like just moving my leg until I could finally move my leg up. And two weeks later I put like wrap a little tiny weight around it and then like a shoe then do that. And anyways, basically just went to the gym every day for nine months. And then I actually had to get another surgery, went to the gym every day for three months, another surgery, and then went to the gym for three months. And then I was back basically, but it was during that time I was like, okay, I can't snowboard, but I'm going to if I can't be physically riding, I'm going to become even more obsessed with snowboarding in so like, because I need to make up for the fact that I'm not riding. So I started reading all these books on visualization and how visualization is like so powerful and how your central nervous system actually doesn't know the difference between a daydream and reality. And like, it's, it's easy to prove like you can, you know, if you really like shut your eyes and you imagine biting into a lemon, you, you start feeling that the muscles up here tighten up or, you know, um, there's tons of examples, but essentially if you, there's like studies that showed basketball players who only visualize and, and ones who didn't, um, the visualized guys, like the guys who actually were practicing did worse than the guys who were visualizing. Yeah. Chris was talking about that just recently. Yeah. Do you have any notable books? Yeah. The, the big one that I was reading during that time was called, um, uh, thinking body, dancing mind. And that's like an unbelievable book about um, visualization. And there's all these other things too. They were saying like, if you ride a stationary bike, even if you can't use your one leg and you're using your other way, your brain is like, because your whole life you've always used both, um, that your brain is like thinking that it's working out your left leg, even if you can't move it. So I would be in the gym with my leg, left leg up on a chair and ride. I'd ride for like two, like 40 miles with just one leg on the bike and just, you know, I was just in the insane shape at that time. I wish I was in that shape right now, but it was like just doing like, I could do like 10 reps of 10 pull-ups, like, like nothing, like a hundred pull-ups. And it was like this crazy, uh, drive at that time. But what I was doing back to your question 20 minutes ago was I was studying video parts and I had always studied video parts, but I did, I mean, I would watch full video parts in slow motion. I would, I mean, full videos in slow motion. I would, I mean, like for true life, I watched every part I wrote down, every single trick, every length of time, what location, what trick. And like I piece it together where like in JP's part, I, I think it's like he had it. It was like so calculated to where it was like six park shots, six powder shots, six rail shots, six pipe shots, six backcountry shots. Like, 
And so, and it was like exactly two minutes and 30 seconds or whatever. And then I started kind of like, kind of trying to like break the code of like, what's the best video it part? What's the recipe? Yeah. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> this and so, amazing. so that's kind of what I came up with was I wanted to be, and especially back then, and Ke- you know, Kevin kind of taught me this was like, you have to be Kevin super, di- Jones. Kevin Jones, you have to be super diverse. Uh, you shouldn't just do rails. You shouldn't just do park or or contest. Like you want to be in, you know, ATV, you know, do everything. Pigeonhole yourself. Exactly. So, so after that, my, I would say I always had tricks that I had like in my head that I wanted to do like, you know, Oh, I, I really want to do a switch back nose press back 180 out this year. I want to, and I would probably write them down, but it wasn't necessarily, it was more like, I know I want to get X amount of street rail shots, X amount of park shots, X amount of backcountry shots, X amount of like even creative, funny, weird shots, you know, and, and, and then even some pipe shots back then or whatever. So that was like my recipe for, um, yeah, for video art. Man, I, I love hearing that because during the video, I, I'm also a student of the game heavily and grew up and built a career on video parts and dissected them in a very similar manner. I don't know if I've ever really talked about it on air or stuff, but you know, when, when I was really, really into it, I was, I could tell you exactly how many tricks somebody had in their part. I would, I would break it down. I was a trick counter. Yeah. Habitual trick counter. Counting and you, every you other think like, And it's so funny when you break down a video part, cause you, you, maybe you're overwhelmed and you're like, shit, I got to film this whole part. But sometimes like you watch, there's some good Devin Walsh parts that are 15 tricks for sure. And there's some amazing, like, and you really, when you break it down, like a good two minute and 30 second video part a lot of times 20 tricks uh-huh. but then you're like okay i need 20 tricks exactly and what's the recipe what's the what I'm, I'm painting a picture here like oh i i got a good back lip on this what's going to complement that maybe a switch back lip oh i have a bunch of rails well i the a cab nine is going to look a lot better next to a bunch of rails and you start trying to craft this magical part and and visualizing it and then also i've always noticed when you have your trick list you're like well fuck i really need to I have this trick in mind, whatever it is. And when you have the trick in mind, the spot seems to show itself. Absolutely. So when you when you have the trick in mind, the right spot, whereas when you're driving around, you know, you the spot might not look that good, but you're like, oh, that's that's perfect for this trick. I've had it on my list. But Absolutely. I love that type of stuff. Dude, that's funny. From the other side with FODT, Cole and I would be like, a rider needs to have 20 tricks. Yeah. But if you're Bradshaw or Gooner, you could get 10 tricks yep. and then have so much, like, cool funny like lifestyle (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're actually gonna have 20 shots and it's gonna be a video part yeah but the most notable thing for me about what you said is the doctor basically saying you're never gonna ride again really let's focus on walking yeah and it's crazy a lot of athletes hear that in the how you persevered through that yeah i mean a true athlete you know i would say to me um like the the what I did in general was I was, I was, I got my most motivation off of people who was, were telling me that I couldn't mm-hmm. do something, you know, uh, like, thank you to everybody who was like, Oh, I believe in you. You can do this. I'd be like, okay, thanks. But the people who were like, Oh, there, you can't do this. There's no way. Like, you'll never be a pro. You'll never, I was like, Oh, I, you just yeah. fucking wait, you know? Just and same with the doctor, you. you know? Cause like before, you know, I was channeling like all these high school teachers and all these students who were just like, oh, you're, you're dumb. You're stupid. Oh, that's, that's, that's a a dumb thing to do. Um, and like I was channeling, like, I am going to move out West and I'm going to prove them wrong. And I actually applied to Stratton mountain school and showed them my like thing. And they said I wasn't good enough. And so that was a huge one for me too. I remember driving home from that interview being like, you wait and fucking see, like I, I am going to be a goddamn good ass pro. So, you know, and, and then, um, and, but the same with the doctor, as soon as the doctor was like, 
you, you, you will not, you're basically not going to come back from this. I was like, Oh, just wait. And then, so check this out. So then what's crazy is that exactly one year later. So that happened on February 3rd, February 3rd, the next year, after three knee surgeries and literally 12 months of eight hours a day in the gym, I worked out in the gym so much that they just, uh, they stopped taking my money. They're like, just come, you're like sponsored now. You're here more than our employees. Just, just, you get here like literally when we're opening and you leave when we lock up. Like I would just lived at the gym and, um, and yeah, so Snow Creek Lodge, shout out, they, you know. You're at the gym all I've been day. There. Yeah, that yeah, place like is an awesome. Employee. Yeah, all That's day. Incredible. I love that spot. Yeah. Right by where Scott Blum and Harry Yeah, yeah, Blum. yeah. And uh, Greg, uh, Greg Weaver. Man, um, swag. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, but one year later, my first rail trip was to uh, Canada. I, is it Can Loops or Kelowna? I forget which one. But it was that, um, the, my, the first rail I hit, well, the first filming trip I did and the first real rail I filmed after that was the back 270 on that 33 stair. Oh, no way. Yeah. I was coming back Simone, from that. Yeah. You and Simone's session. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah. And Talk I did. And you cab, horse. you cab two did it as well. Yeah. Cab, yeah. Good memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cab two and back two. And to this day, those are, when you say what's your most memorable shot, that's even like probably more than the Subaru mm-hmm. was, um, was one of my most memorable shots. Cause, um, just knowing what I had gone through that past year. And then what's, and uh, dude, when I was doing that, my knee was like the size of a watermelon, like all full of fluid. And I would have to get it drained after hitting rails and like go to the hospital with these syringes and they like drain all the fluid. And then I wrap it up super tight and then we'd go hit rails. It was like super gnarly, but that promo copy is the video part I produced after my shattered kneecap. And that to, to this day for me personally is my favorite video part. That's incredible. That meant the and most. Also, I was going to say, on on for me as a kid growing up, the timing of that video, powder jumps, hip jumps, bad falls, worse yeah. concussions. <laughs> man, I got to pee. Like, uh, Painkiller, whatever. You have the Chris whole thing. memorized. And I watched it so much, and that's my favorite part of yours oh, as well. Man, that Woo! means a so lot sick. to me. That means yeah. a lot to me. Because what's crazy is, and I was I was talking about this before, like um, recently, was, you know, the forum movies were, were so... Uh, um, marketed, which is great. I mean, they, they were just like, this is going to be the best video I've ever seen in your life. And what's funny is that they did video gangs and then they did a two year break of, and that's when Sean Johnson went and made, um, promo copy and, uh, and derelictica. Yep. And, um, and it, to me, those are two of my very best video parts, but they were like Canada, Canadian production didn't remotely have the marketing that forum did. Um, and they were seen, but they weren't like as, powerfully marketed as like that former against them forever video gangs like all those of those the hype machines. those were the hype yeah. machines and it's funny because in those like i never quite got the video parts that i wanted like i was happy with them but i was never like super stoked mm-hmm. and it's funny that the two of like my my personal favorite parts were in videos that like probably didn't get as much like hype as i as i would want to what we're gonna link them in the show notes yeah. and get that hype wrong we should, again we should definitely talk about What's fascinating is our era of the video part being king. If you're in, you know, whether it's like absent standard forum, mm-hmm. there's there you can count on one hand the videos that are getting seen. And if you're in one of those videos, you are a top level pro. You are put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are probably getting paid handsomely. Um, what do you think? You know, what do you think it is like then versus now? What are your thoughts on how it's changed with videos and Instagram and all that stuff? Oh yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how different it is. And I think, um, I mean, honestly it's, it's, again, it's, it's funny because you could, you could say that our, 
that generation of like just trying to be get into one of those those videos you could say that that was harder um because again you kind of had to move across the world you had to like make those connections in human form and like get onto those rosters so that was very hard but in a sense it was like very easy because i mean all you had to do i mean all you had to do but like through the winter you just had to go out and film whether you're hitting street rails or backcountry or the park you went out and filmed when you went home at night you just ate a good dinner stretched rested went to sleep woke up did the same thing that was it you were just and that's all you had to do like you only had to produce one video part that was basically 25 to 30 tricks 3 minutes uh you'd always have a photographer with you so as long as you were getting the shots you had a stack of photos for the mags and for ads so it was like very in a way it was like very easy recipe it was like what project am I doing this year? Oh, I'm filming with Dogger. Oh, great. Done. You like, had to have that financial support, though, and the travel budget, so not everybody could that's true. step up. That's know? true. Um, if you get in absence back in the day, it was a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, for sure. Um, which is funny because, yeah, towards the end of my career, that's one reason I couldn't. I wanted to keep filming, but I didn't have anybody like, to. So you got 15K to totally. buy in, and do you have a $10,000 travel budget? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, But, yeah, it. So in that, so, you know, it's easy and hard, but nowadays it's like, man, I just think the level of like the amount of stuff, like because of social media, um, first of all, it's, it's so much more unclear. Like what you, are you going to do a web series? Are you going to do it basically like, are you going to have a career off of Instagram? Are you going to, there's not just like five big movies a year and you're just in one of those and you're good. You know, um, it's like, and when is it going to drop and is it going to be impactful? And, and, and then, and like we were talking about earlier before we started recording, you know, we would film all year and you'd hear rumors about that ending part and that ending or that opening trick or whatever. And, and like, it would take a year to see it and then everyone would see it and would be like, Whoa, like Benedict did a double cork or JP did that kink trail or so-and-so front boarded through a rail, you know? And, and so it was like those tricks and those video parts were like, ingrained in us for a whole other year and they were like these really massive things you know and whereas now i mean literally i just like was swiping the other day and it's like oh so like rene rene congo is like did 1980 <laughs> and and he just posted it like yeah did a 1980 and you're like Agile. and then you're like holy shit like that's crazy and then you just like swipe swipe what's next swipe and and whereas that trick even you know if that had been done back in the day or a lesser version of that, like would have lived for a year in people's minds and mm -hmm. people would have looked up to it and remembered it forever, mm -hmm. you know? So or, that, and also the level of, of what these kids now have to do as far as social media, like they film all day and then they go home at night and they have to like post all this stuff and make edits all the time. And it's just like, and they have to update it on their TikTok and their Twitter and their Facebook and their Instagram and their fucking whatever. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's, and you got a hashtag and you got to put all your sponsors. And if you don't, you get in trouble and, and you have to get a certain amount of likes and it's in the contracts now. And it's just like, whole, it's like you have two jobs now. Like before you just could be a snowboarder and that's it. Now you have to be a snowboarder and you have to, you have to be your own marketing manager. Mm -hmm. Even if you have an agent or people working with you, you have to, you yourself have to promote yourself and build your own brand. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and to me, I'm like, that must, that must be fucking exhausting, you know? What's crazy, too, is back in the day, MacDog would put out units, like 
100 K mm-hmm. 100,000 DVDs or yeah. VHS. Yeah. Yeah. And now these people, someone might make a whole project and get like 3000 views or yeah, something. Yeah, that happens. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. It might be quality. Yeah. You know, that's, it's great. It's a whole different world. A couple other things though, too, when you look at, and maybe this is me holding on to the purest factor, but if you take a video part though, it does tend to be something that goes back and gets revisited or it stands the test of time. And, uh, whereas a clip on the gram is in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And so there's two, there's kind of two sides to it where you look at the way we grew up, you know, I was studying your part in promo copy or Simone's for that matter or whoever, you know, and then, and then, you know, just really like slow-mo and oh, back, like, oh, he, Simone did a backlip pretzel. Okay. I'm going to learn backlip pretzel. I got to, I'm going to figure that out. And then by the, you know, you figure it out. Whereas going back to the 1980, you look at the guy's early season in sauce Fay. One guy does a 1980, and then two days later, three other guys are doing yeah. a fucking 1980. Yeah. Doable now. And it's like, so, so the, 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 the per- progression of snowboarding gets expedited because mm-hmm. it's like somebody learns something, and you're like, all right, I'm trying to keep up. I guess I got to go learn a fucking 1980. Yeah. He did that. I got to do <laughs> yeah. that now, or else I'm not competing Where with these guys. If, if a 1980 came out and it was the ender of uh, standard films back in the day, Shit, you're like, I got a fucking year to figure yeah, this thing out. we would all celebrate it, yeah. and you'd have a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just yeah, wild. that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's it's, it's wild. pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, like we were, yeah, we would progress like on the year, mm-hmm. and people now are progressing like on the day. Yeah, by the yeah. minute. Yeah, because and, and you know everyone in the Olympics were just, like, are like, oh, like you told they all just did triple corks in the pipe. Yeah. Like, okay, That's well, now weird. you know the top three dudes are doing triple corks in the Olympics. If you don't have a triple cork, sorry, like you're not going to be on the podium and in the Olympics. That's scary. That is so scary. And that's crazy. And like, whereas before, like you wouldn't know that you'd show up and be like, oh, what's this guy got in practice? You know? And like, oh, he did that. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's just, it's, and, it, but again, I guess, and I never want people to think I'm like that guy who's like, oh, the good old days. Oh, I don't like snow- snowboarding now. It's lame. You know, it's just, that's just how the sport progressed. That's how our society progressed with, with, uh, with social media. And to be honest, like guys like, you know, Mark McMorris or, um, you know, any uh, Chloe Kim or any of these, these, um, young kids who are red Gerard, they don't know any different. Like they don't know, like about just having to film for six months to film one video part and then it comes out and then you chill all summer, like, or whatever. Like they don't, th- this is just the way they have grown up. So to them, like to go and then go home and sit on the couch and like make a quick edit and make a reels and then throw it up on Instagram to a, a cool song that's just like part of being a pro snowboarder now. So I don't think it's not like they have anything com- to compare it to. And they're like, mm-hmm. this sucks. Like they're probably like, this is the best thing in the world. I'm a pro snowboarder. Right. <laughs> of course. And as they should be. So I think, you know, that's, that's, I'm just saying like, I honestly feel like we had it kind of easier in that mm-hmm. sense without social media. Cause that's just a whole other beast, you mm-hmm. know? Also, also the, another topic too, about is going back to progression and some stuff, just stands the test of time too. If you if you take like um, from uh, promo copy, you front board a big kink or whatever. You know that if that comes out today, that clip is still heat, still legit, and, and it's still something that somebody can go to their local park and be like, I'm gonna front board my local park rail. Now I th- I do think sometimes when you see these guys doing front 450 on like misty flip 720 off, I'm like I'm I can't. Right, I, I like scroll. Like I, I don't know even how to start to think about trying that fucking trick. I <laughs> love that, that you're doing. I, I love that you're doing that. It's not like, going to go down in the street. I mean, it's an incredible feat of of fucking Acrobatics. pure athleticism. <laughs> right, but like 
a, a good front board through a kink, a good, you know, back 270 on a big 26 stair down bar. Like those type of things stand the test of time, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I think they are, there is like a fine line between really good and progressive and amazing and then like, uh, and relatable and not relatable. Like I said, I mean, now to be honest, like, like even when I was a kid and I was 14 years old in Rome, Pennsylvania, watching a Mac dog video and I could see Devin Walsh doing a front three on some massive jump. Like I could do a front three in my park. So I can like picture doing that, you know, Mm -hmm. but like at that time, if I were to turn on the Olympics and see some, um, some of those like, um, freestyle skiers go into the jump like this and then they like wait and they like are all like pencils <laughs> and they like they do huh? yeah and they like spin like oh and they literally like they they put their arms and they spin like a million you're just kind of lost and you're like what is that like it's not i don't want to do that that and looks and then they canceled it cuz it was too much exactly and and in a way and again like but that's kind of where snowboarding has gotten with like triple corks and stuff i mean a kid who's 13 now watching a triple cork i don't know if they're like oh yeah like i can I could do that. Like to me, I'm like, what? If you think so, that's fucking great. Because to me, like <laughs> back sevens take a do what I'm too most much excited for over the Olympics is the women. Cause mm-hmm. it's progressions happening yeah. and it's like looking good. All the guys do the same trick. Yeah. Even the same grab kind. And it's just like, oh, what is going on? But the women, it's like, they're moving along. Yeah. Like that's judging it. X games. Like I judged the X games for a while and I was like, this is really crazy. Like, especially the bigger, it was just like, okay, who did the most who does the most flawless front triple like that's that's it or back triple you know it's and it was really difficult to judge that because you're like oh well he kind of let go of his grab like one inch earlier than the other guy and like you're just like holy smokes and again i don't want to make this sound like i'm bashing anybody doing triple corks and stuff because i understand that's just where snowboarding is and like it's the only way to win yeah and you know it's funny um a, a while back, like a couple of years ago, I interviewed Andrew Howermont, who started the Aaron Style. And he, there was a time where Aaron Style, like um, I think Gian Simmons and Mark Andre Tart, they were starting to do 1080s. And people were like, whoa, this is getting out of control. <laughs> and so, which is so funny to think because now a 1080 is like a straighter. Um, but it was like, Andrew Howermont was like, okay, let's instate the rule that, you know, one, like it was best out of three tricks. And one of those tricks had to be a 540 or under. And that's like, you know, Benedict in the uh, robot food, he has some clips doing like his big shifty back one and then switch shifty back one, whatever. And like, and there, it was really sick. People were just like, whoa, like that's a cool rule. Like all the, all the guys were like, this is really cool. And then I asked Andrew Harriman, like, would you ever implement something like that again? And he was like, you know what I realized is he was like, by doing that, he's like, I get it. We kind of wanted to show the style and, you know, but he said, essentially, you're kind of trying to stunt progression. And, and he goes... The, uh, he was like the one thing he he's like the one thing i've learned over the years is you can't stop progression and and progression isn't always going to go the way you want it to go it's just it's like it's just how See, reality is i i have a fucking firm disagreement with that because okay. i don't think that that's necessarily progress i mean it is one more spin is progression to a degree but is it where we want like go yeah like you said you're right i'm eating my own words but i do think that it's important take for example at the olympics Torgier Bergam does switchback five method. And that is like, it, that was, that's progression. That was the sickest thing I've ever seen progression. in my life. Yeah. And that honestly, like that could for me be like top three. hundred well, percent. So why what happens not when someone gets badly hurt? Exactly. Well, the, the other thing too is like, why not they can, in t- you can do the same thing in pipe. They took away the mandatory straight air. I think that they should 
have a mandatory straighter. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, if you can't blast a fucking method and a keep it together, method. who gives a shit about your triple cork? Right. And then the same thing with big air. It's like, well, we're going 2100 in a couple different directions. And it's like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm watching. Like, right. I can't even, I'm a, I've been snowboarding my whole life and I have no fucking idea what yeah, clip they lost did. Me. But why not do, it doesn't need to be under a 540. Under a 900. Right. You can watch Marcus Cleveland oh, fall yeah. into a backside rodeo 900, and it is like a fucking beautiful sight. Right. Or, or any of those guys, for that matter. Dusty Hendrickson, you know. But why Why just reward one more rotation? I think that that is pushing the, snow, the sport in the wrong direction. It's turning people off, and I think it's bullshit. It I doesn't look good. And, and not to go hijack this conversation, we can get off of this, but <laughs> but I do, I, I'm kind of passionate about like the direction it's heading. It's got to, it's going to turn into aerial skiing. Aerial skiing is fucking dead. Right. Well, aerial that's, skiing yeah, that's is dead. Thing. What if the triple and the half pipe gets someone so badly hurt, they're like, we can't have this contest anymore. Yeah, I, I, for sure. That sucks. Yeah, and and I mean, and, and I don't disagree with you. I mean, actually, and here's a good point. I've, was an X games judge, which is, you could argue the highest level of, of competition. And, you know, I basically stopped. Well, I stopped doing it because no one likes the judges, but, but in the sense that like (laughs) you get vibe, a job is a judge. No one ever thinks the judge did. You did a good job unless you get first place, but it, no, but honestly it was, it was like getting to the point to where I was like, I barely understand what these guys are doing. And now, like you just said, you're talking to, you know, two people who've dedicated their entire life to the sport, watch every last little thing that come out, like literally take pride in being more obsessed about snowboarding than anybody else. And like, we don't understand what tricks are going down. What hope does the public have or anybody? Mm-hmm. Again, it, it, it is going to turn into like aerial skiing, which it already kind of has. And again, I, I really want to stress this. I'm not trying to like bash any athletes, uh, kids out there right now doing no, They're doing works. what they got to do to win. Yeah. Exactly. They want to win. Yeah. That's what you got to do to win. You do. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And it's, you know, we had these discussions as judges to be like, hey, we are, which is kind of crazy. We're like, we're in control of the sport right now. Mm. Like if we like get Danny Davis's switch method and his big like back three more points than back to back tens or twelves, then that's going to control how the sport goes. But at the end of the day, you're just like, it's it's you're gonna get catch a lot of shit for you know judging a double cork like less than a switch method you know that's a lot of pressure and it is and it's weird and it it is a lot of pressure and that's why i I stopped doing it because i was like this is this is gnarly for me you know and and even though i enjoyed it i loved judging like the art of the the art of it it's like how obsessed can you get with snowboarding tricks it's the best right but i just the just the pressure of like of it and like the level everything was getting i was just like oh this is crazy you know but it is, it's, but again, it's like, what, what can you do? Like, like, you know, it's like that. There also is, but the thing is, is like, you're not stopping progression, but there is criteria. You can change the criteria. Right. You can change judging criteria. Right. And, and it's stopping maybe progression in an aerial skiing sense, but like in the same way that you get scored less, if you miss your grab, you know, you can change the criteria in whatever direction you want. Mm-hmm. So whatever we we've been hammering on this we got a lot more <laughs> to, to cover i think it's great conversation yeah it's a great conversation and these things i love having these conversations because it's it's kind of going to a scary place okay let's talk about pub beer buds what do you got in your hand there i got a crisp pub beer right here what's and, their motto uh, it's cheap it's fun <laughs> and it's delicious 
Absolutely. It's cheap, fun beer. Uh, if you're looking to have a couple or uh, more than a couple, pick up some pub beer. They support the show. Uh, you, know, you know what's good after a day of snowboarding? What's that? Pub beer, my there friend. There you go. There it is. With that being said, I think we should get into the pub beer crap shoot. Welcome to the pub beer crap shoot. So, uh, Edward, you just give those things a roll, and then we'll tell you what you have to do, depending on what it lands on. All right, 6-5. Woo! So 6 11. plus 5 is 11. Okay, this is a great question. If you had to be Siamese twins with one person in the <laughs> industry, who, or which person would you pick to be stuck with? I'd say um, Peter Line. Wow. Because, uh, yeah, we're pretty much, we've been stuck to the hip since we kind of started hanging out and good, very close friend. I, we just kind of get along, kind of like the old couple. Although, if we were Siamese twins, I'd have to force him to shower a little bit more, but yeah. Well, that's Does he actually, not shower often? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, no, I, 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 no, no. We no. just so happen to have a buzzer beater question Woo! from last minute submission from none other than Peter Line. Hello, Eddie Waugh. Thanks for having me. This is Peter Line. I have a question for you. Now that you are older, what is your best excuse to not hit a jump? Thank you, and have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, Pete is the best. Uh, we were, I was just staying at his house in Seattle a couple days ago, actually. Um, uh, my best excuse for not hitting a jump as I'm older, uh, it's, um, it's pretty easy. When I got finished officially filming like my last video part and I was done with what you would say that part of my career... I was like, you know what? I've risked my life for 13 years or more and did a lot of crazy stuff and I've escaped it with seven surgeries and then like a couple bad head injuries. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I made a conscious decision of like, I'm not going to hit jumps anymore. I'm not going to hit rails anymore. I mean, yeah, I'll go nose press a little rail here and there, but like not, I'm like, I'm like, I proved myself. I got nothing to prove anymore. And I don't need to be that old pro snowboarder who's chill, still trying to show people that I'm good. I'm, I'm like, I will go ride powder for eight hours a day. I'll drop cliffs. I'll do anything related to pow groomers, like just mess around side hits. I'll still ride. I mean, still ride all the time, but yeah, that's my excuse is just like, I did it. And then I'm, now I'm done. Been there, done that. Yeah. Been What's there. cool is powder's like riding a bike, you know? Yeah. You start to lose your grabs and <laughs> you get stiff, but that slash is just, it just sticks with you and it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. We all have that to look forward to and deep into our 90s. Yeah. If we shall live that long. Couldn't uh, couldn't disagree more, but uh, you know I'm gonna keep hitting <laughs> well, the steel. Well, you're, you're still you're still a pro snowboarder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not all washed up talk, like me. Talk to us in like ten yeah, years we'll or whatever. See what I'm saying? I yeah. always tend to eat my words. <laughs> Go back. Yeah. One day you'll make the switch. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I hope. We'll I've, I've said publicly, I hope how I hope to die, and it's like when I'm 90 years old, I want to hike, hike up to the top of the kink rail in the park, <laughs> go full speed back lip. <laughs> hit my tail on the way up, <laughs> land directly on the flat and like back taco and break in half and die on the battlefield with some fucking What's honor. Funny like a man. You probably will be hitting the park rails at like 70. Just dope ass kit, like baggies on. 
Just, oh, you're like, just, is that guy? Oh, that guy's old as fuck. <laughs> Damn, barely walk. Front board that king. I want to go out. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Dedication to the steel. All right, well, let's get back to Edward here. Uh, Edward. So you know, you, you go through your list of of incredible parts. You got your promo copy, video games, that all those forum videos, former against them, mm-hmm. then the DC Mountain Lab. Uh, you know, grenade videos, but particularly, I want to get into talking about the DC era because Mountain Labs videos were iconic. First thing I want to talk to you about on some video nerd stuff is uh, the line where you're riding through the Mountain Lab and you get up and you shoot a clay pigeon. Oh. You shoot uh, <laughs> while snowboarding and you Should go and talk about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah I know it, that shot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did you do that for a name? That's that the video most literal part? use of that. <laughs> <laughs> you used that for name that video bar, didn't you? I, uh, I have used that. Off. Oh, I, I've used that section like yeah. where somebody rides through and you're like, pull. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for name that video part. But t- talk to us about the, the process of how that line happened. Uh, it happened very organically. Honestly, it happened where Ken, Ken and Pierre were kind of like, oh, we just want to show because we'd been filming in the park and we'd film some stuff in the front yard and stuff. But if you're just watching the videos, there's no relation to like where the house was to where the rope tow was. So Ken just wanted to show like, Hey, let's show how close the house is. And it would just started with, and we had just gotten snow. So the driveway was all snowy and everything. So it literally started as Eddie, why don't you, you're in the house in that little like domey type chair in the living room. And, and he's like, why don't you just be like, oh, let's go to the park and walk up, strap in, and then just ride down the driveway through the to the to the rope tow. That was going to be it. It was just going to be like, that's okay. Now people have a reference of where the house is compared to where the rope tow is, and and then it was like, oh, well, if we're going to just like ride that whole way, it's kind of flat, and it's just like we're just cruising down a driveway. That's a little bit boring. Um, why don't we put like a picnic table in there? And we're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then it just literally spiraled from there. And then, and then it was, let's put a hula hoop. Let's put a trailer and go through the trailer. And then it was funny because this started off as like this shot that we were going to do in the morning and it ended up taking like the entire day of building out. And then we're all like, and then it turned into like, let's shoot the skeet and let's like, you know, um, and yeah. And it was, it was crazy. Cause there was one take, where I had done the whole line and um, and then because it, it happened like obviously it's like yeah oh you're going to mess up some tricks here and there so then you have to mess up and walk back and it was take it took a while and then there was one the very last thing you hit was this little tiny metal thing and like I had done the whole line perfectly and I on that one little thing, it's like two feet tall. I like try to do a something a little bit more technical on it. And I fell right before the rope toe. And we were like, oh my God. And we were so exhausted. So it's funny when you, if you watch that video and you listen closely at the very end, um, it goes like, there's like that small cat and I like front board part of that. And then I hop around and I cab 270, the S box or like the dragon box. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'm going and you can hear Pierre, he, he goes, just tap it. <laughs> and so that last thing I literally ollie and just give it a little nose bonk because he's like, just tap it. Like, don't fall. And then what's crazy too is like, we didn't know how the rope toe was going to come around, obviously. And it's nuts. If you watch, I like pull right up to the rope toe mm -hmm. and then that little red thing is just Dongle. right there. Boom. And then just takes just me luck. away. Yeah, it was just luck. And that was a, yeah. And it's funny how, how sometimes things like, absolutely weird and organic just and that ended up being like the ending shot of the entire video and um ken that was like ken's favorite part of the like one of his favorite clips in the video and it, it ended up becoming this pretty cool thing that you know and the way the music ramps up and everything it just was yeah it's just interesting how sometimes like some really cool things kind of come out of nowhere and there was like no plan to do that there was no rhyme or reason and it just kind of worked out to be end up pretty cool uh, okay, and then while we're all on DC, we got to talk about you in uh, New Zealand, Ken Blocks in a car, hitting snowboard park jumps in a Subaru. It's absolutely psychotic. And you're uh, doing back fives right next to him and spinning and whatnot. And Yeah, um, that was a crazy trip. First of all, I don't know to this day if that had been planned or if that just happened organically. I knew Ken was flying his car down there because he had a rally race down there. And in my mind, I, th I think it started off as Ken just being like, oh, like, I want to just, why don't I like take the car and just drive it around the resort a little bit? Like, that'll look cool. And then it was like, oh, why don't we like tow one of you guys or why don't you guys just, and then a same thing. It just spiraled of like, everybody's minds just were like, click, 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 click. Like, what can we do now? What can we do now? Let's jump on it and jib it as it's driving. Let's like do a donut and we're jumping over you and like all of these crazy things. And, um, but the, yeah, the, well, the, the two, the scariest thing was obviously jumping right next to it. And that was like, um, where Ken was like, Hey, I think I'm going to hit the last jump in the park. And this is crazy too. This is in New Zealand. So rules are pretty loose over there. This is like during operation hours. The park wasn't closed. It was like fully open. <laughs> there's yeah. like kids shredding. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, if you look at the footage, like there's just people on the chairlift looking down like, holy shit. Like there's a car <laughs> flying a car in there. Yeah. The slope, mom. yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so it started with Ken, like easing into it and then just being like, I think I could hit this. And then my first thought was like, Hey Ken, why don't I hit it and you follow me and I'll do a trick and you follow me. And then we were like, Oh, wait a minute. Like if I fall, you'll land on me and kill me. Yeah. And we were like, okay, let's not do that. <laughs> so then the second we were like, well, why don't I follow you? But then we were like, okay, as far as the footage goes, like you're probably already going to be gone and then I'll just be spinning behind you. And also if like there can still be some, like bad things could happen with that. So then it, we kind of came up with the idea, well, let's hit it side by side, which is like, so basically we brought the car down to the lip and we kind of like, he kind of went up real slow and like saw, like put basically two tracks in to where his wheels were. And then I kind of was gauged how close I could be to him or not. Um, but it was really gnarly with the timing because he had to drop first and then I had to drop and we had to catch up with each other at the exact moment. Um, and we did. And what's actually crazy is the first shot, Pierre is just totally 90, like si uh, on the, like shooting sideways. And it's like, I'm almost, you almost can't even see me because I'm spinning so perfectly with the car. Um, and it's funny because I was wearing black and blue and the car was black and blue. So it's <laughs> like, um, so, but I remember Todd Richards was at the top and he, he said, and I've said this before, but he was like, he looked at me all very seriously. And he was like, Hey Eddie, like, 
coming from someone who is now a father who has like kids, he's like, I don't think you should do this. And I remember just being like, whoa, because up until that time, it was like, oh yeah, let's, oh, this will be cool. You know, we'd like just a bunch of dumb snowboarders, like not really thinking too heavily of the consequences. And I just remember being like, oh, whoa. And that kind of like, I was like, oh shit, this is kind of serious. You know, this could be, this is a pretty scary situation. But anyways, ended up first try working out perfectly. Um, and the thing that caught me that was like the most surprising is that it was re- really quiet in the air and I'm just like spinning and just seeing a car floating next to me. <laughs> it felt pretty surreal. But then when I landed, the car landing was, it. La- it's so loud. I mean, it's a fucking one ton or whatever, like a massive thousand pound car dropping out of the air, landing, granted 10 feet away from you, if that. So it's just like, boom, like it sounded like a car accident. And I, I remember being so spooked, like, holy shit. Like I didn't ex- think about that noise. And then we just both ride down and we were both like, oh my God, you know? And then basically he was like, all right, that pretty much destroyed the car. But I'll, I, he's like, <laughs> What if it bounced over, you know? Yeah, oh no, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong with that. You drift or the, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, whatever. Like there's so many, like if the, if the part of the jump caved in or if he, if his, if his wheels got squirrely at the last minute, I mean, there's so many bad scenarios, which again is one of the reasons that was like such a memorable thing for me. But, um, uh, yeah. And then next, um, then the next time he's like, I can do it one more time. And he was like, why don't we do like a couple people hit it right alongside of me. So it was Torstein, me, and then, um, this kid Jonas and, um, and that, and Torstein did front seven tail. Um, and then, but I, but the way that was shot is cause the way we kind of messed up the timing. So Torstein was like right next to the car and we were just way behind kind of Mm -hmm. like not that cool. And then they shot, they had learned from my first shot how to shoot it a little bit better and then Torstein ended up getting the cover. I was going to ask, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that I mean, he basically, just the photo ended up being better. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... Because he was able to practice and be like, all right, this is what I need to yeah, do. Yeah, and it just, it, it, it is what it is. Like, you yeah. know, there's times where some people like... It's some, how it goes. Yeah, it's how it goes. But I would definitely was like, damn it. Like, I wish I had gotten the cover, you know? <laughs> and, but I did get like... In that episode, I had like a pull-out poster of it, so oh, I was like, weird. "Okay, I remember that." Yeah, and not to mention, it's funny because like and you took the risk of that first go too. Yeah, but yeah. It, anyways, it was cool, and I mean, Torstein's the man, so yeah. it's all good. And it's like it, everybody needs. It's to, rare that someone like Todd would be like, "Maybe you shouldn't do this." Yeah, you know, that doesn't happen fa- a lot of he's times. He's got that famous quote: "Get that damn car off the hill." <laughs> Get that damn car off of the hill. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like just being a random person on the hill that day. Like, yeah. what is going on here? The really goddamn no Subaru hitting the park kicker. <laughs> yeah. Now they're allowing cars on these mountains? <laughs> yeah, I don't think Todd was very stoked on that whole situation. I think he was just like, he just dude. thought it was over the top. I, I think he was more just like, I think somebody could get seriously injured yeah. and like, what the fuck are we doing? And um, Stakes are high. he kept kind of making funny jokes like that like get this damn car off this damn hill but he was like kind of serious like like, come on guys little dad coming out yeah Yeah. i don't blame him yeah rightly so all right buds let's get into the uh, bomb hole of the week let's do this what are we talking about here first we're going to talk about volcom's patented tech zip tech what is that buds you know everyone is they like wearing bibs right yeah but it comes spring bibs get hot yes they do what if i told you you could attach your pants to your jacket forming a union much like a union suit Okay, so they have a union of the pantalones and the jacket. That's with a Spanish. zipper. Okay, with a zipper. 
So you don't have to have bibs to keep the snow out. You could just have Volcom ZipTech. Now, why do you want to keep the snow out, buds? Dude, it's the only way to stay warm, stay out, ride longer, have fun with the boys. You mm-hmm. don't want to be that dude that's in the lodge, the old lodge lizard. That's true. I mean, I see guys like um, take Reed Smith, Pat Moore. They seem to constantly land on their backs and yes. just destroy the landing. Is this beneficial for well, them? And not just those guys. I get out there and rip the powder. All of a sudden, if you're not, if it's not connected with ZipTech, you got powder just flying up your your jacket. Yep. You do a heel side turn. It's going up the uh, up the jacket, up the jacket, or down the pants. Either way, it's uh, very sad, and you're going to be in the car. <laughs> okay. So, what kind of giveaway are we doing, buds? <laughs> so, we want to see your bales. We want to see uh, how ZipTech can help you. Sometime you've cartwheeled through the powder. We want to see your best bales. Hashtag Volcom Bombproof at Volcom Snow at the bomb hole. What are you going to get? I think you get a little prize pack. I believe Volcom maybe put some gear in there. You, you tell me, buds. What do you get? Uh, one of their team riders actually picks the best bale of the week, and then we will send you out the package. Let's see those bales. Hashtag Volcom Bombproof. Let's go. We got another topic that we got to talk about. Um, and we've noticed over the years, especially when you watch the video parts, a lot of times you'll notice. Eddie's getting serious. The sleeves come up. <laughs> you see the clip come up. He's wearing the hoodie, but the sleeves come up to about here. We used to call them the hammer sleeves. <laughs> really? Yeah, the hammer sleeves. That's right. So, you, is who, it, who, like you and Steve? We're or? video nerds. So we'd be like, oh, the hammer sleeves are coming out. Is there, uh, is there a story behind the hammer sleeves? Um. Well, there's the, uh, kind of, yeah. First of all, like, I I didn't like wear, wearing a hoodie when it, would go over my gloves like because I when I would do a trick if it would like pop over my glove or whatever that would kind of like mess with my head because then it would just be this little thin piece of thing getting skin getting cold and this one didn't pop over so that was kind of weird um I also had this thing where I like to fold my gloves up it's kind of hard to like explain it without a pair of gloves but like if you have a thin pair like pipe gloves and they had the little velcro velcro strap I always liked undoing that and then flipping them up and that didn't also like didn't really work or look or like just feel right with my sleeves down so yeah it just became this thing where i always was just like roll up my sleeves you know and i always do ride better when i'm a little bit cold and a little bit hungry like i can't be warm and full fucking that's That's when it's relaxed time yeah like i yeah i'd rather be a bit cold and crisp and then and and have an empty stomach because that's when i feel like lighter and better but yeah and then honestly though what's funny is i did at some point realize that when i rolled them up it actually added like maybe a little mental like uh um Padding. Padding, like oh, okay. like elbow pads. Um, but, I mean, I knew that that wasn't really the case because it wasn't helping that much, but I kind of thought that sometimes. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like elbow pads a bit. But The hammer sleeves. Hammer right, sleeves. So the hammer That's sleeves cool. is debunked. I right? love it. Debunked. Um, another thing I think would be cool, especially for our listeners, you know, you talked about, would you say nine surgeries? Is that what it was? Um, seven. 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 Seven surgeries. So you've had a lot of downtime, a lot of time while you're injured. And what... What do you have for advice for people that are injured that are going through it from a person that's been there? It's interesting because I think everybody deals with it differently. Um, Some people say like they just can't even see snowboarding. Like they don't want to watch videos. They don't want to do anything because they want to just, it makes them like so bummed that they can't actually go do it. Like I said, I was the opposite. I was like, well, if I can't physically be riding, I'm going to do whatever I can to be entering snowboarding into my brain without snowboarding itself. So uh, just magazines, video parts, tricks, dream tricks, visualizing. Um, and yeah, like before my knee was better, I was go- I would be in Mount Hood and I was like, 
I would go into like some of the veins that were like over from the camps alone, just in the dirty fields and they're just flat. And I would like close, I would like, I, well, I guess my eyes would be open cause I'd have to see, but I would like drop in on just a flat field that went forever. And I would just pretend I was riding the X games course. Cause I still couldn't like Ollie or jump cause it was too painful. So I would like drop in and then I'd just be like, okay, I'm taking off the first jump and I'd be like cab seven. And then I would just like slowly rotate a seven and then be like, okay. And then switch back five, you know? And so for me, it was all about just trying to become more obsessed with snowboarding. Um, I guess my advice would be like, uh, my other thing was if I can't snowboard, I should be obsessed with like healing. So like make your new passion getting better drink green juice, stretch yoga, physical therapy as much as possible, like quadruple, whatever they tell you to do. Like that was my other way to do it. It was, I was like, if my job is to snowboard and I can't snowboard, then, then let's, my new job is to like get me back to snowboarding and like, and take it, you should take it that, uh, that serious, you know? So like for me, it was like, Oh, getting injured. Like I'm not going to sit on the couch and smoke weed and just like hope to get better in two months. It was like, no, like if anything, I was not partying, sleeping more, like, and a w- way more healthy routine than even when I was riding, you know? Um, so that would be my suggestion. You do quadruple what they uh, recommended for your oh, physical therapy? For sure. Yeah, always. Love yeah. that. What about the guitar? Yeah, I mean, what's funny is I didn't play the guitar until, like, after I had had surgery. Oh, I just figured it was, like, a, something you learned while you're hurt. That's no, made it's, it that's really funny because that would have been amazing. I, I'd be way better <laughs> than I am now. But, but no, I actually started the guitar, like, after, after like, I had gotten all my surgeries, mm-hmm. which is, that is kind of funny. Well, let's, I mean, you, you went from basically being the top of the top pro, making all kinds of biscuits, uh, stacking that cheddar, stacking cheddar. Um, and then let's kind of get into the, the tail end of the career. How, how did that unfold for you? So, um, yeah, speaking of like, yeah, contracts and everything. So the way my agent worked it, which was really great. So I was on DC before I had signed onto like genius and forum. So my DC, let's say my DC contract was, was two years at that time. My forum contract, you know, when we signed that, he purposely made that for like two years so that when my DC contract was up, because then DC started making um, boards and outerwear. And so all of a sudden I was riding for a board boot and outerwear company and a board boot and outerwear company. So it'd be like riding for Nike, like a basketball player wearing like one Nike and one Adidas or something, you know? So it was, (laughs) it was like pretty crazy. And both, both forum and DC were like, you need to come head to toe. But I, to DC, I was like, well, I can't because I'm still in my forum contract. And to forum, I'd say the same thing. So we staggered those on purpose so that literally for like almost 10 years of like the height of my career, I was getting paid two full-time salaries from two big companies. So it was like an unbelievable deal at that time. And, and with a good plan, Astafin was like, we'll end these when you're 30 years old, both of them. So, and then you will sign with one head to toe for five year contract till you're 35. And that's going to be kind of like your retirement contract. And it'll be big because you've done a lot for both of these companies and it'll be like a bidding war and we'll get them like, we're hype up DC and be like, yo, forums coming at him with a huge contract and vice versa. So, which was a great plan and almost worked. But what happened, (laughs) but what happened was the 2009 fucking economy, a clap or uh, recession. So the housing bubble burst, all of a sudden, all of America is just 
complete like is just turned on its head and overnight nobody had money the stock market's crashed everybody lost tons of money in the stock market and all of a sudden all these companies like forum and dc and stuff were all of a sudden like oh boy the the days of you know seventy thousand dollar you know of swedish sweden trips is coming to a screeching halt immediately so we had already been playing both companies off of each other like oh they're going to offer a big contract they're going to offer a big contract so within honestly I remember it being within like the same day or two. It could have been within the same week, but it was forum called me and was like, Hey, we know that DC is offering you a huge contract and like, we don't have any money. You should take, you should take the DC. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I quit called Aspen. I'm like, take DC, take DC. He calls DC and they were like, or no, then DC called me. Um, Brian Botts, who actually, no, not Brian Botts, uh, Sean Lake, who actually does the bubs. Yeah. Stuff Sean now. Lake. Yeah. Shout out. Um, he, he calls me. And was like, uh, yeah, um, DC, we know that Forum's offering you a huge contract. You should take it because uh, we didn't save any money for you because we just knew you were going to take that. And oh, no. in one day, I like went from making a whole lot of money to absolutely zero. And it was like heavy. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Granted, I was talking to my agent and he's like, oh, dude, like you've had an insane career. Like you're only, you're like 29 or just about 30. Like we can still, don't worry about this. We'll get you some other sponsors. So we hit up a bunch of people, you know, we hit up all sorts of brands, all sorts of board companies, boot companies, everything. And everybody was like, yeah, we, well, first of all, everyone was like, we have no money because we just got screwed. But even if they did, they were like, he, Eddie is so branded to form in DC that like, it's probably going to take us at least like two years to really like get his name out there. And like, ha- like if it was 32 or something, they're like, it's probably going to be like two years before someone in, you know, Pennsylvania he's knows, get knows it. that he's on 32. And then at that point he's going to be like 32 or 33. Oh, that's kind of funny. But anyways, uh, but you know, it's like, <laughs> and you're going to be kind of slowing down towards the end of your career. So it's like, why are we going to invest in you on your like and exit from the snowboarding world? If it's going to take this many years to actually have people associate you. Right. So it was pretty gnarly and it was kind of hard, hard hitting for me. Cause I was like, man, like I've put a lot into this and now nobody's here to kind of like to step up. But, um, at that time, Christian Diedrichson, who was working at Circa and under four star distribution, which is forum, uh, and Dan McNamara, who was working with forum, they were, they both left and they were starting a small company, um, uh, called Bond Outerwear and Weekend Snowboards. And um, it, they just like got a small office. They had the boards and they um, they put on, I think it was myself, Hakey Sorsa, um, Mark Carter, um, and a few other guys. And um, so they were like, oh, we can give you like a little bit of a contract, you know? And so they gave me a bit of a contract and I and I was on a couple other companies, like real small stuff, and but still kind of getting by for about two or three more years until... Like basically 2013 is kind of when I was like, they, they, they went out of business and then, um, you know, I was 33 and just like, and also to be honest, like I was, you know, my knee is a lot of pain. My shoulders in a lot of pain. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, uh, at the same level that I had, had used to be. And I didn't necessarily have that same drive. I was like, man, I was like, I've really don't want to get another surgery, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was getting older because I, and losing that, like, little kid mentality of like, I don't care if I break myself, I'll do anything, you know? So I just kind of was like done. And, and like, uh, I've explained this before, but like, it's, it's really weird because you feel like I felt like at that time and I had known 
like Kevin was very vocal about end of careers and like nobody likes you. You're not anybody's friend or like they're not your friend. They're using you for your snowboarding. Like, you know, and so he was like, they will one day, they're not going to call you. Your phone's not going to ring. You're not going to be the cool guy. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I know, I know, I know. And I, so I knew that was coming, but like when that happens, it's really hard to deal with. And like, you feel very kicked out and granted, this is all like in your own head generally, but like you feel kicked out. Like I thought straight up my phone was going to ring and it was going to be every company being like, Hey, do you want to come be our team manager? Do you want to come do marketing for us? Do you want, like, I just thought that would happen. Um, and, but it didn't at all. And like Kev, Kevin said, like no more phones and phone calls, no more emails, just poof, gone. And I've explained it like one year you're like walking on the red carpet to the movie premiere and getting your photo taken and, and you're the shit. And then the next year you don't even can't get a ticket to the movie. You're like, Hey guys, uh, I'm over here. Can I get a, I'm outside, guys. Yeah, can, can I come in? Like, is that, is that okay? You know? So it was really hard and I never got bitter because that happens obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I can see why, but I didn't, I didn't get bitter because I never wanted to be bitter. And, and also that's just, to me crazy because we get this special time in our life to be a pro snowboard like that's just it's unbelievable how could i be mad about that um uh but i kind of was waiting for that phone call it never came and my wife uh at that time or my wife now but at that time told me like she was like why don't we just kind of like do like let's kind of just like get away and like do a trip somewhere or something so we literally like in one of my rail jams over in london i had won 13 pure ounces of gold <laughs> and I held on to them and they had like tripled their value. So they were, were worth like 35 grand or something. So I basically cashed in like the majority of those and we spent almost like six months or more. And we just went like all around the world, like with backpacks and we lived in like Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, Nepal. We hiked Annapurna base camp, which was pretty insane. Like we're way out in the Himalayas and then went to Bali and Gilear and like all the, and then Japan, we just like went off the grid and I didn't answer emails. I didn't, it was just like gone. And and the whole time I was like, what am I going to do when I get home? What am I going to do when I get home? What am I going to do when I get home? And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do real estate. Maybe I'll get a, be a carpenter. Like I, I was just like, no, no idea. Like, what's my resume? Oh, I know how to find a good kink trail. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm really good at building cheese wedges in the backcountry. Um, and so it was pretty gnarly. I was like, you know, um, so we get back, we get home, we were living in Venice beach at the time. And, um, Saudi was like, Hey, you know, there's this, and I owe a lot to her. Um, I mean, everything she was like, yeah, <laughs> she, she was like, Hey, you, you need to like, snowboarding is your life. Like you need to get back into snowboarding. And I was like, kind of like, well, I don't think they really want me around. Like, da-da, you know, this weird mental stuff. She's like, listen, there, there's a premiere happening. It was a snowboarder premiere down in uh, San Clemente at stance. And uh, she's like, let's go down to the snowboard premiere. And I, we drove down there and I didn't even want to go. I was like, I don't want to go. Like nobody there is going to want to see me. It's going to be weird. They're going to like, I literally thought people are going to be like, Oh, like why is Eddie wall here? He's not a pro anymore. Like what, what's he doing here? And I was walking up to this movie premiere so nervous, like straight up like sweaty palms, like, oh, like this is going to be so weird and awkward. And like I walk in and then just the first person I saw was like Bridges and then 
I, randomly enough, Dylan Alito and like some other people. And they all just like, were like, Oh my God, Eddie, what are you doing? Oh man, good to see you. And like, I was like hugging like all these people. And it was like, it was unbelievable. Like at that moment I was like, Holy shit, this is my family. Like, this is what I've dedicated my entire life to. Why on earth would I go sell real estate? Like, why would I go do anything? Like, this is it. Like this, I don't care if I am a janitor at snowboarder magazine, I'm going to be around snowboarding. Like let's, you know, so after that Saudi, it was almost the same thing. Like, you know, somebody says, uh, right place, right time. I say be in every place, every time. Um, you know, same with mammoth, like back in the day, I was like, if I'm in every place, every time you're going to make connections. Right. So we were like, we literally made an effort. We're like, let's look at every snowboarding event, everything that we can do that has to do with snowboarding. Let's go there. And I just started doing that. And then it, it created a little bit of this, like, Oh, Eddie's back type of a thing. And then I went, I got a chance to judge the X games. So I went to judge the X games. And while I was judging, I met up uh, with Nick Hamilton at a bar and he was like, what are you doing now? And I was like, dude, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, figure that out. You know? And I'm like, and he was like, why don't we figure out a way to get you involved with trans world snowboarding? And I was like, yeah, let's, what, what can we do? And so from there we created an up a web web episode Eddie's wall. And then I also, he was like, you can do our, be our social media manager. Cause Instagram had just started kind of popping off at that time. And, um, so that kind of started the movement of like my next kind of career move. And, uh, and it was still cool because being like, I was still commentating some stuff like do tour judging X games. Um, so I was still kind of like continuing a career in the sport and, um, and, and doing those web series, which is similar to this. I was just interviewing a bunch of people. So it was really cool. And then trans world went out of business. Uh, and, and then I'm just kind of moving along. Yeah, I love it. You but just keep, yeah. you're killing yeah. it. Keep and, going. and then, uh, and then I, again, I was just like, boom, rug pulled out from under me. What am I going to do? And I'm just, and yeah, you can do like little commentating and stuff, but that doesn't like, that's not paying your bills for year round, you know, at least from what I was doing. Um, Cause you don't get like a ton of money commentating and doing those, those things. So, um, so randomly I was back at the X games judging and, uh, and one of the other judges, uh, Sam Holbert, he was like, dude, I'm coaching a Chinese Olympic team. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And I was like kind of joking, but I was like, oh, he's like, oh, they pay really well. And you only work basically six months a year, seven months a year. And I was like, I'll, I was like, do, do they need another coach? Like <laughs> just kind of, and he was like, actually, he's like, they might be looking for a half pipe coach. And I was like, oh, perfect. That's like, come on, come on. <laughs> like look no further. <laughs> I'm your guy. Yeah. Here we go. Long, illustrious half pipe crew. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was like, and, uh, so yeah, so I just started, uh, so dude, long, weird process, but I like ended up getting the job and as the half pipe coach and, um, and yeah, that was just, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that, but that was like a wild, weird one year experience of huge language barrier, right? huge. I mean, the kids, none of them spoke English. That's, so I, that's wild. It was, yeah, it was very interesting, very, very challenging, I would say. And it, yeah, it was, it was wild, weird times. Definitely a lot, big cultural difference, um, which I was like, I'm comfortable with uh, like travel the world. I know all sorts of cultures, but business wise and stuff, it's very different there. And it's, yeah, it's just pretty wild. Um, anyways, so as I'm over there in China and it was like not that rad, accommodations, not rad. And it's wild too, because this is just before COVID and I was in China four hours from Wuhan and I flew, 
I had heard um, somebody had uh, put my name in the mix for this job at Arbor as a product manager. And, um, you know, I, I basically, you know, flew home, talked to, you know, Bob Carlson, the founder, and then Charlie Merman had a conversation with them. And I was like, you know, they were like, do you want to do this? You know, can, can you do this? You know? And, um, you know, there was like the full conversation of like, yeah, like just because you were a pro snowboarder doesn't mean like, you know, you're going to know how to do this or you're going to be interested in this or, uh, you're going to be able to pick up these ty- like looking at production masters and figuring out all these Excel spreadsheets. And I was like, no, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a gamble, but I was like, I can tell you that number one, I have work ethic. And number two, I'm like very obsessed with snowboarding. So I, I was like, I can imagine I've never beyond designing my own product, like pro models and stuff. Um, I was like, I'll, I'll give this, you know, a hundred percent. And so, yeah, just kind of started, and, and I was like, you know, you could get a product manager who's, who's done product managing before, but I was like, you're not going to get somebody who has like 20 years of on snow experience, yeah, who knows experience. every inch, uh, every centimeter of how a snowboard works and functions and turns and feels in every type of condition and all that stuff. So, and the passion and the passion. And honestly, just like the, I mean, it's pretty epic when snowboard companies bring in former pro snowboarders and it's oddly enough doesn't happen that often i think it needs to happen more. Uh, absolutely it happens in skate like all the time mm-hmm. take, sno- yeah we gotta take care of our community yeah. uh, 100%. isn't going to china part of that job too it is once covid's over yeah so once COVID's that over. experience yeah too, so. yeah um yeah our bindings are made over there but yeah. but um but it's yeah it's like it's um what's really cool is i was super nervous too i had never had like i had been an independent contractor since i was forever for since you know and i had never had a boss i had never had a desk job i had never done anything with excel or all these crazy beyond janitor yeah yeah i know and it was crazy they're like what's your resume and i'm like oh. janitor yeah janitor in in 1999 <laughs> very very short resume. they're all we see a 20-year gap here uh what happened for what? the last 20 years? yeah what was happening here um so uh no but again they um and, and I mean, that's also one reason that I have this whole respect for Arbor is because they are, it's still ran by the founder, Bob Carlson, which is rare in our industry. Um, they are taking care of, I mean, Brian Agucci's on their team. You know what I mean? Uh, like they, they are taking care of snowboarders and they're keeping snowboarding, snowboarding. And to, to me, that's like a dwindling uh, aspect of companies. And so, um, yeah, huge shout out to Arbor. I, I feel like they're making moves, uh, dude. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean like they poised to be that top. Uh, yeah, one of those top brands. Oh yeah, they are. Already. They are number wise. They are. Yeah, they're really up there, and I think again with bringing Gooch on board and myself on board and Dave Marks for marketing and Dave's yeah, like he's crushing. Dave's the best. Yeah, and uh, you know I think um, they are making the right moves to to really you know um, kind of op- open some more people's eyes to the brand and um, yeah and and for myself, I'm like blown away because I, my whole life have looked at snowboarding, like on this side, like tricks, video parts, uh, athletes, like the riders, that was my focus, Tr- like competitions, all of that. And yeah, like I said, I designed, I was very on hands with designing any of my boards or outerwear or anything like that. But I had not really considered this like whole other business side of it as like, you know, cause I was just so obsessed with the riding and now it's, and I didn't even know if I was going to like it. Like I, like I for sure didn't, I didn't like coaching. I, you know, I, I didn't like it. I just was like, I don't, 
I have no interest in this. It's a bummer. I don't, I, I, I get why people would like it for me. Wasn't my thing, dude, I get into this. I'm starting to talk to the factories and learn about all the, like how the boards are built and, and, and how to design the boards and working with the engineers. And it is like, dude, I'm it's, I feel like I'm back at the beginning of my snowboard career, like amped up, like going to mammoth and riding eight hours a day. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to like work on all these like spec sheets. And, and, uh, it's just, it's like this whole other part of snowboarding. Even like I get excited about budgets. I'm like, Ooh, like this is cool. Like I never saw this side of the company. And so now it's like this whole new excitement and I'm learning a ton. Like somebody said the other day, they were like, Oh yeah, for like 20 years you made money using your body. Now you can make money using your brain. And I was like, Holy shit, that's kind of crazy. Um, and so, yeah, it's just super cool. And, um, and, uh, yeah. So do you work with John Colvin? Um, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, he runs. Homies, I used to work with him when he when he worked at Elan. Yeah, I, I cool dude. Literally talked to him yeah, like he's almost taught me a bunch when I had to do that same stuff with Tech Nine. That's so and cool. it's fun. It's a fun thing learning all this stuff. It is. You it's, don't think about. I, I have a all question. Yeah, just because I'm not entirely sure what does what exactly does a as a product manager is that what it is product manager what does the job entail? Okay, so essentially, I'm kind of like oversee everything that has to do with the boards and the bindings. So like Dave Marks is marketing, right? So he has to like figure out how to, you know, do a project with Gooch and do a project with um, MFR and team guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, the sales, you know, sales guys, they're all about selling it. So for me, it's literally like what boards are in the line? Like how many boards do we have in the line? What models do we have in the line? Okay. Now what can we design in the next coming years, that's going to be cool. What's a new thing? And then once that is like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Cause my dad asked me that. He's like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> he's like, what do you do every day when you sit down at your computer? And like, this is a very broad answer, but like, or for instance, in 2223, Gooch is going to be coming out with a new board called the Satori. I'm guessing I can talk about this. I don't know, but whatever. Um, but it's like this, it's Gooch came, comes to me and he's like, Eddie, I want to come out with a new snowboard. And I'm like, all right, what do we want? What do we want to do? And then he starts breaking it down. And then we're kind of going off of each other. Like, oh, let's, let's have it be like this. Like maybe it's a little, like a little bit wider. So it's like a carving machine, but we want it to be a bit shorter. So in powder you it's maneuverable. So it's like a short fat, but also we want it high performance and so, and then like what type of nose shape do we want or radius and all this. And then we get all of our stuff together. Then I go to George Kent, who's our board designer, who also works at SWS and then, or our board engineer, then he starts drawing all up these crazy diagrams that I had never really seen before. And then, and then we're looking at all of the degrees and all this stuff. And then we're like, okay, that's it. Now let's prototype it. Then we prototype it and we get those sent and then we're testing them and we're like, oh, this is good. This is not good. Make this, tweak this, whatever. Oh, the tail didn't look like we wanted it, whatever. And then all of a sudden, and then we work with the art department on the graphics and then they get the graphics done. And, and meanwhile, I'm kind of like, so I'll be talking to the athlete, the engineer, the factory floor. I'll go to Dubai, work at the factory, like show, like, let's see what we can do here. Work with the art department to put the board to like the stuff on the board. And then when it's all said and done, why I'm in Utah, it's a sales meeting. And then we're talking to all the reps, all the retailers. And we're like, here's the new Satori. That's going to be the best fucking snowboard ever. You should buy it. And this mm-hmm. is why. Yeah. And this is why. And so, but I mean, that's got like to make sure that product's on time too. Yep. Yeah. Especially now shipping stuff is yeah. crazy, but, um, but yeah, so that's like, that's it. You're re- And then I do the same thing with the bindings. How are we going to develop these better? And it's like, how are we going to improve these? What is some of the latest technology? How do we make it all more environmental? What's a green story that we can, how can we 
in, implement recycled parts. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's crazy actually. I mean, when I first started, I thought I had to do like 10 things and I basically have to do a hundred. So it's, there is a lot of moving parts and it's pretty wild. Like there's, there's definitely times where it's overwhelming, but, um, you know, that's just like anything really. Now when, in a non COVID year, you're visiting all the factories just mm -hmm. to make sure things are looking good. It's fun too. You get to yeah. meet, you just get to see that whole other side. It's, the thing I find fascinating, too, is when I hear you talk, I hear the excitement come passion. out of your voice, the passion, and it's so funny because I feel like, you know, with us, with the show, I, luckily, you know, snowboarding, same, we've had a similar trajectory, right, with, and, and I still snowboard, and I still love landing tricks, but to me, like this podcast we're doing right now, I'm loving this conversation. When we're done... I feel like I backlipped a kink rail for my part. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm sure Bud's same thing. Yeah, right? when he holds that new sitar, he's going to be like, ah. Yeah, when yeah. you get that board, you're yeah. like, I just fucking cab nine yeah. the, the step down. And you know? yeah. um, a footnote about what you were talking about is when your career kind of ended. I think the important thing to remember is you got to just knock down those doors or whoever this happens to because every pro is going to go through this. You can't just wait. Your phone's not going to blow up. Dude. You got to knock those doors and, and take that same approach. And you like, do. Let's, you, I'm part of this industry. This industry is my life. Yeah. And you have to show yeah, them, yeah. like, my, I was kind of like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm yeah. a life. I'm a lifer. Yeah. Yeah. We're lifers. Yeah. Right? And, and it, that's so true because I was waiting. And here's the thing I had, I still have like great relationships in the industry. I made it a point to never burn a bridge, to never, uh, you know, screw anybody over because this industry is small. And uh, if you do that word travels fast. And so I was just like, Oh, if anybody's going to get a phone call when they're done their career, yeah. it would be me. Like I, like I, I'm good friends with everybody. Right. Like, Oh, team manager job. Of course we're going to offer it to Eddie. Like, but that does not happen. Uh, yeah. Granted, like, like Ika Backstrom, you know, he's with DC and then they, they've been kind of like helping bring him into the folds there. That's so cool. And that's very rare. Um, but like, he probably pushed a little to make uh, it happen for right? sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's awesome that they're doing that. And like, but again, it's very easy to, like, I was talking to someone who was retired and they, they were like, Oh, you know, dude, like I, I was out of the industry. Like nobody called me and da, da, da. And I was like, well, how many people did you call? Yeah. And they were it's like, two and they were like, Oh, yeah, shit, like nobody. And I'm like, exactly, dude. I was like, every, nobody's like, doesn't like you. It's just yeah. like, you just have to, you have to be the one who stays in touch and goes to the premieres and goes to the contests and the events and shows up and, and bring your ideas to people. Mm -hmm. Like with, I was like with Transworld, I was like, let's do a web series. Yeah. And what's it going to be about? I have no fucking idea, but let's figure it out. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like they wouldn't have just come to me and said, Eddie, let's do a web series, you know? Yeah, you got to hit the homies up and be like, hey, let's talk. Have you heard anything? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Like, oh, what's up? Yeah. You got to knock down the doors. You, yeah. pros need to remember this and not yeah. throw the pity party after. Yeah, no. And it's really, I mean, I can see why so many pros get depressed get depressed get bitter and then just peace out and you never see or hear of them again it's cr it's wild and i can absolutely see because it was like it was i was like the most unlikely person to ever do that and it almost happened to me yeah and um so if you're even remotely on the fence if you don't have all the positivity to the industry you're gone yeah and nobody's chasing after you mm -hmm. you know yeah, you so you just gotta hit your boys up and remember that they're yeah. here 
Yep. Well, it's good to see the snowboarding take care of its people. Yeah. I'm Let's glad keep... you didn't uh, disappear and run off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're, glad we're, we're, we're glad you're sitting <laughs> glad here with us at the, right at the now, old right? b-hole here. Yeah, the old b-hole. <laughs> the so I think we should get into a little section we like to call hot takes. Woo! Hot takes presented by Oakley. Uh, I rocked the line miner with the prism lens. Uh, best goggles in the business. Everybody knows that. Now, uh, they support the show. You guys should support them. With that being said, let's get into the first question we always ask. Who is, to you, the Michael Jordan or the GOAT of snowboarding? I would say Terrier. He won every world championship ever and then went and filmed Epic Parts. First person to ever make his own, you know, Subject Hawkinson, make a whole film around him, uh, which seemed impossible at that time. And, um, yeah, I'd say, say Terrier. What about uh, worst trend? What do you got? Maybe just like talking shit on social media, like negative comments. That shit just so old. That's always a trip. Huh? It's just when so people get so adamant. It's about so whack. Shit. Like everybody, like you can't do anything right nowadays, yeah. and everybody just gets on everybody's case about everything. And I'm not even talking about like cancel culture. I'm just talking about like anything. It's like you post one thing and everybody, oh, this is dope. that's lame. That's too much of a spin or that's not enough. Or da-da. It's just like, dude, I can shut up. Let's just go snowboarding. Let's keep you know? it positive, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, who do you have for most underrated border? I think for me, I think Chad Otterstrom. I, I w- Here's the thing. I don't want to say that in the sense that I don't think Chad gets the respect that he does because he does. And he's been, he was on forum and he's on amazing companies and he, you know, but I, I, to me, I think Chad should be like up there in the talk, talked about like with the dudes, you know, like Peter and Kevin and uh, Terry and, and Otterstrom to me is just like the, like, he's like every snowboarder's favorite snowboarder, but I feel like he probably didn't get as much of the limelight that he could have during his career. But again, it, it that's hard to say. Cause he really did. He had a kick-ass career and he's literally still killing it. So I, he's not necessarily underrated, but I just think probably could have more hype. Back that answer. Have I back it. Yeah. All right, last question for hot takes. Best video part ever filmed. Jerry Hsu bag of suck. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. We, uh, didn't, we didn't clarify that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, or Reynolds stay gold. But I guess, um, no, as far as snowboarding, man, that is... Okay, well, can I ask a question? Yes. Is this best... Because this matters. Is this... Best video part to me? Yes. Okay. Always yeah. to you. Oh, as it pertains to you. Not as like in general. Yeah. Like, it's uh, too not, debatable to really. It's but your it's, best it's favorite TV. part that sticks um, out for you. That's, oh man. I mean. I can preface it with something to make it get you started. And why, why, if I'm going to get, I'll give an answer. Maybe it'll spark something. You're going to give your favorite? Yeah. Just mine, mine would be Travis Parker after bang. Mm-hmm. Going back to dissecting the video part. Uh, I just love the blend of. Backside Rodeo 9, crazy A-grades, awesome clips, backflipping into a tree being a complete idiot. Yeah. Uh, film Digi, 16-millimeter banger, like the song, the the feeling, the like serious A-grade mixed with we're idiots. That blend to me is the perfect part. My favorite, Mikey LeBlanc, Brainstorm. Oh. Yeah, the music. The Brighton Ollie, woo! Yep. Uh, that part just always stuck with me. Yeah, back when eighty, but yeah, yeah, back when eighty. It's it's just fun. that huge to flat. Mm-hmm. That's a that is a he and he's isn't he in the, yeah, the, the in the bar with yeah. the band and with everything? The band, yeah, <sighs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'm gonna say okay. It, first of all, it would have to come from either a 
um, like simple pleasures or technical difficulties um, or like resistance. I'm just going to say, uh, I'll say Peter line resistance because yeah. I mean, it's funny because I don't even know if it would be a video part because like it's, it's more of like just those videos of like resistance yeah. and true life. And those videos at that time were just so unbelievably like uh, in, uh, inspiring to me and, you know, influential on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically just any of the, any of the forum dudes, like, mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, okay. I got, sick. I got another hard hitting question. Ooh. Um, just before we, we're about to wrap this thing up. So, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I think would be cool is you've had an incredible career. What advice do you have for young kids coming up? Listen to your gut, listen to your own gut. If you want to like, be careful about listening to other people because they're not you. They're not your life. They're on their own agenda. They have their own concerns. And like, listen to your own gut feeling. Like if you, if you think, I mean, quick example, like Jake Blavelt, I remember when he was like, I remember the conversations when he's on forum and he was hitting rails, he was hitting the pipe, he was hitting massive park jumps. And he was like, I'm done with that. I'm only going to ride back country and I'm barely even going to build jumps. I just want to be like a free rider. Um, you know, like Mueller or somebody like Iggy or whatever. And, and, and everybody like the the heads of forum like these are like the owners were like sitting him down and being like don't do this don't do this like you you need to like stay on your path of super freestyle da da and he was like no and look at where it brought him you know mm-hmm. like and so yeah yeah listen to your gut and like remember if whatever you want to do you're gonna have to sacrifice and work hard like nothing not there's nothing better than working hard like if you work, it's kind of simple. If you work harder than everybody else, you have to get there. Like you have to get there. If everybody's working six hours a day and you're working nine hours a day, there you go. Like there's no natural talent doesn't make up for hard work. Uh, location doesn't make up for hard work. It's like just work hard and uh, yeah, keep your head down and stay positive. Stay positive. That's actually the most important thing because no matter what, just stay positive. Life's we're all fortunate out here. So well, and life's okay. going to happen either way, right? Exactly. Just be positive and yeah. deal with what the punches. Yeah. 100%. There you go. I like the Bridges quote where he said, we get paid to do what people pay to do. Yeah. That was a banger. That's I remember great, hearing that. Great quote right there. Oh, one thing we almost forgot. Um, we got to ask about the current setup you ride. Your board, angles, bindings, everything. Um, board is this new board I've been designing with Brian Aguchi, uh, Arbor Board called the Satori. Uh, it's a 154, kind of a short, fat, uh, kick-ass board. Uh, it's a directional twin, so carves like a machine, but you can still go switch. Uh, bindings are the Arbor Cypress, and I right now I think I'm at 22 and a half with uh, plus 18, negative 12, and um, got uh, some anon goggles with those like magnetic thing. Uh, you do you detune your edges at all, or now you're just a pow dog? So you uh, don't. Yeah, no, just yeah. straight pow dog. You're staying away from that metal. Yeah. I, again, I'll cruise through the park and like, I still love, yeah. I like doing switch presses and stuff, but again, my knees, my left knee is like in real bad shape. So it, it any real hard yeah. compression is like, just takes a lot of the fun so out of it. So you're not worried about detuning those edges. Yeah, no detuning. No, four, um, no 450s going down. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, sometimes, sometimes I miss like, I'm like, oh, maybe I should try something. I'm like, no, don't do yeah, it. Yeah, slow down. Uh, slow yeah, down. slow down. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, where, yeah, the, uh, let's see, I got, DC Travis Rice boots, which are unbelievable. And I generally hate 
any type of boots. Like they're just too stiff, too weird, too many hot spots. Um, but yeah, love those, love the DC and I don't get paid to say that. I just love those boots. Um, and, uh, yeah, just like got AK outerwear and, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's about it. Beautiful. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, we always like to ask if you have any thank yous or shout outs you want to do. Yeah. So, uh, I'll try not to keep this too long, but I definitely love to shout out people. Um, first off, um, fat tire. I know you guys have a beer sponsor here, but, um, new Belgium fat tire, Dave Sipniewski, uh, Tyler Weedy. Those guys have been, uh, have been a, uh, brought me on as an ambassador a couple of years ago and, uh, gotten to do a lot of fun trips with them. A lot of work on a lot of fun projects and huge shout out to those guys, fat tire, real big fan of, um, what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, supporting our, our industry. Second is, um, GoPro Davy Schmidt, uh, huge shout out. We've been working on this fun, like homie skate project in LA past few years it was supposed to be like a one-year project and it's turning into like a four-year project but uh davies always uh sends us some gopros so huge shout out to gopro and davy for that um what's, what's it called uh the uh the movie's gonna be called still rolling okay yeah. awesome because it's uh, general age is like a bit a bit older so nice. love yeah. it but it's cool we got a lot of like ernie torres uh you know real skater he's he's um He's actually got a real banger part. My good homie Chris Barraza has a hammer part. Um, Tony Tave, Jamie Tucowney. I think maybe Tommy Finn's got some clips. Um, yeah. Damn, heater. It's going to be heater. Yeah, we got... I've skipped over a part, but back in the day, I used to live at the Circa house yep. and went on tour with those guys. It was wild, epic times. So anyways... Um, so how, are the, how are the frontside flips these days? They're still there. Love you know? that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. They're definitely there on hips. Down stuff starting to get a little harder, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually got one on a hip, like the, like a street in the streets, kind of in some like ditch the other day. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, but anyways, um, and then oh, uh, Hoods to Woods, um, Brian from Hoods to Woods, huge shout out to those guys, um, bringing you know inner city kids up into the mountains, helping get some diversity into snowboarding. I think we all can agree that that needs to happen and should happen more. Um, so I've been working with those guys a little bit, just trying to um, figure out a way like he wants to do bring bring a whole crew out to mammoth or out to tahoe so we've been working on trying to get that to happen so if anybody's listening to this just go follow hoods to woods uh on instagram it's just at hoods to woods um i'll and link them in the show notes what's that i'll put a link in the show notes. that would be great and also they um they are always doing you know fundraisers and you can always just go log in and donate five bucks 50 bucks whatever 500 bucks whatever you got like because um it's Maybe a challenging What's that? Maybe a thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thousand, two thousand. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, um, any support that we can give to Hoods to Woods, uh, great organization, and um, and yeah, I'm I'm happy to be uh, helping. Uh, just try to spread the word about them. And then yeah, just you know, I would just want to thank everybody along the on, along my path. Um, there's like there's way too many to thank, but Bridges, Nick Hamilton, those guys. You know, most recently Bob Carlson and uh, Charlie Merman. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, Kevin Jones, Peter Lyon, Steve Astafin, those, that whole crew. And, and even my family, you know, both of my sisters, um, my sister's husband, Jay, and, uh, my mom and dad, and they, they all were a, a big part of like helping me, you know, at least get, just giving me the support to, to just kind of go out there and, and follow, follow my dreams. So, and, and to all those teachers and kids and all those people who said, no, you can't do it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I thank you the most because uh, you gave me, you were the fuel for my fire. So, yeah.
yeah and then yeah last but not least for sure um i want to thank my wife saudi uh huge i mean again she was kind of the person who actually got me back into this into it and was like hey don't give up get back into snowboarding and and you should you know find a career in this and uh and just yeah she really is like you know like the best and we you know i consider myself very lucky to have found uh, someone like her so um yeah huge shout out to saudi give her the super air horn Oh, super <laughs> air horn. We use that this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. We really appreciate We really appreciate everything you've done for snowboarding. Inspired many and will continue. And I um, want to say thank you to our listeners, uh, anybody that's bought some merch, all of our sponsors, and, of course, huge, huge thank you to our Patreon. And um, we got an er- another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Over and out from the bomb hole. All right, what a great conversation with Eddie. I really enjoyed that one, Buds, huh? Yeah, Eddie is the man. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap this thing up, I do have to plug a couple things. First things first, mark the calendar. April 2nd and 3rd at Brighton Resort here in Utah. We're having our event. Day one's a bank slalom. Day two's kind of a jump rail jam. All ability levels, all skills from pros to beginner. We're just trying to get all you guys, all our listeners in one place to have a good time. They'll be on snow demos. It'll be a great time. So mark the calendar. What else we got, buds? Go to bombhole.com. Check out the merch. We got new hoodies that are really, really dope. We have new coffee mugs. We have patches. Always new stuff going on the site. So check it out. Patches O'Hulhan crushed by 10 tons of irony, if you know what I mean. Patches O'Malley, let's go. So also one last thing. We have sponsors. They're a huge support of the show. When you buy merch, it supports the show. But mainly with the Patreon we are kind of a podcast funded by the people. We're funded by you guys. You guys are why we're able to make this show happen. So thank you so much if you're a Patreon member. And if you want to find uh, sign up, you can find a link on our website. With that being said, thanks again for listening. You guys rule. We're out. <laughs>